So why did he need a uh, black director? Could a white director not have? It's not color. It's culture. S explain the difference, because I think we're, we're Steven in a space Spielberg right did Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. Martin Scorsese did Goodfellas, right? Steven Spielberg could direct Goodfellas. Martin Scorsese probably could have done a good job with Schindler's List, but they're cultural differences. I know, you know, we all know what it is with a hot comb hits your hair on a Sunday morning, what it smells like. Huh? That's a cultural difference, not just a color difference. Right. So it's a culture. Now, folks, this next group coming on told me they are better than Bird and the Midnight Falcons and the Temptations all put together. I know, I know, I know, but we shall see. Ladies and gentlemen, a nice round of applause for the five heartbeats. What's going on, good people? It's Rich here. School, what's going on, brother? What's good, my guy? Not too much, man. Good to be back here with you, recording another episode of The Culture Garden. I'm ready to get it. Everybody out there listening, we definitely appreciate it. Thank you for your response, your feedback. Um, we'll talk about the Will episode here in a second, but just everybody taking the time out of their day to even give us a listen and check us out. Um, that was very exciting to us, and even more so, like I said, I got a lot of feedback personally about yeah. the Will episode. Yeah. School, I know you did because yes, you told sir. me about it as well. Um, from mutual parties also. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting, man. A lot of y'all were a lot of y'all were on my ass about Ali. Yeah. Yeah. It was really you and you told me it was gonna happen, yeah, but man. I don't know, man. Yeah. Like I said, I got a <laughs> special affinity for Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And maybe that's just it. I don't know. Facts. But I'm gonna listen I'm gonna listen to it. I'm gonna watch it again. Yeah. Um and just give myself a clear vision yeah and look at it from the lens of this is the movie versus this is what i wanted the movie to be and i think maybe i'll give you guys my stance on it at that point but yeah. it probably won't change i don't know we'll see man yeah. but uh i watched bright again too speaking of will oh, man. yeah i watched bright again it was uh i liked it mm -hmm. i liked it man I, I don't know what it was this time but it was just maybe i was just in a fantasy mood right because it's heavy on fantasy and if you're not into fantasy sci-fi i can understand why you don't like it but and it's it's a well told story, and it leaves you wanting to know more. Like I want to know more about orcs and fairies and elves and all that. So it's pretty interesting. Bright two is coming out, so it did what it was supposed to do. Right. So we'll figure it out. But love the feedback and everybody. Uh, yeah, you the guy man. grabbing my ear, man. Hey, man, I need to talk to you about this. Yeah, which actually leads me to this. I don't know how many people listen to us that don't know us in person. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know how to really configure that. So. For those who don't know us in person, we would at least want to make sure you have our social media information. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Kyron Richardson, K-I-E-R-O-N, Richardson, traditional spelling. Um, Instagram is probably the best place to reach me, krich513, um, K-R-I-C-H-513. Um, hit me up. And, you know, if you want to have any kind of conversation, give me suggestions on movies we should cover. Me and school will talk movies all day. So you're more than welcome to hit me up, you know, and just discuss the podcast. Yeah. So you can hit me up on Facebook. It's Isaiah Jackson. I-S-A-I-A-H Jackson. Traditional spelling. On Instagram, it's schoolboy120. S-K-O-O-L-B-O-I-120. 
And on Twitter, it's school513, S-K-O-O-L-513. I think that's it. I feel like I'm I'm one of them kids in high school. Everybody's like, hey, I was just about hey, to say, bro, you sound like yeah. the teacher just called on you, I don't want to say nobody's name. The whole classroom they, just rolled their eyes. Yeah, because they probably listening. Yeah. Hey, but man, yeah, you stupid. You. Yeah, you. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, yeah, man, we're here. Yes, sir. We finally reached that moment. Um, the first movie we're covering on the yeah. podcast is what we... When me when school and myself talked about doing a movie podcast, we knew that this was gonna be the first movie we talked about. For sure. Just because it means so much to both of us. Yeah. Growing up to now to I mean, you you really can't talk about this movie enough. And of course we're talking about the five heartbeats. Five heartbeats, yes. Um, we told you guys about our love for it in the first episode. Yeah. And I can't wait to dive into this because yeah. there's a lot of interesting things that went into the making of it. Yeah. And just as overall history and how the movie just has grown culturally over the years five heartbeats was released in theaters march 29th 1991 yes and you can watch it on stars it's playing on stars right now and mm-hmm. if you don't own it i guess that's the bigger issue yeah. that i would have with like, you why y'all what five yeah. heartbeats needs to be in your collection like, it needs yeah. to be in there yeah vhs dvd all that yeah yeah, yeah. all that all of it. There's also a documentary that we're going to reference throughout our podcast. Yeah. Um, a lot of the history of the of the Five Heartbeats, we've got that information from this documentary. Mm-hmm. It's called The Making of the Five Heartbeats, directed by Robert Townsend. Yeah. It is an interesting documentary, especially if you were a fan of the movie. We have a lot of footage from a lot of the casting sessions. Mm-hmm. And even though there's not really audio from those sessions, there's some stories behind the different footage that you see, some yeah. interesting and famous people. It's definitely worth your time. It's about 90 minutes. Um, the documentary is available to watch on UMC, the Urban Movie Channel. I think you get a free seven-day trial. Don't forget to uh, cancel it before it's up, but check yeah, that out. Yeah. Then we're going to get into some categories that school and myself want to discuss. And, yeah. um, That's what no, I'm really... Yeah, I'm just really kind of break down different moments of the movie and what yeah. they mean to us and the things you would talk about to anybody when you discuss the Five Heartbeats. Right. With that being said, we're going to work under the premise that you've seen the Five Heartbeats. It's 29 years old. If you haven't seen The Five Heartbeats, stop this podcast right now. Go watch it and then watch it again and then call everybody you know and tell them to watch it. Yeah. Which you're going to do anyway because the movie is legendary. Straight up. We're assuming that you've seen the movie. So we're not going to do a full recap of it because I'm sure everybody listening could probably quote it from Mm -hmm. start to finish. So Robert Townsend, who is an absolute legend, one of the godfathers of the independent film world, Hollywood Shuffle is one of the most important movies, I'd say, to black people. And the message that it portrayed, where we're trying to break down these stereotypes and really show people that we we we're, we live normal lives as well. Yeah. We can play every <laughs> single type of character, not yes. just pimps and thugs. Yes. And you can tell Robert Townsend implemented that in all his movies. Mm-hmm. It was really about breaking stereotypes the whole time. Every single film that he did, from Hollywood Shuffle to Five Heartbeats, even Bats has mm-hmm. some, yeah. definitely, I think that might be the biggest Bats, one, honestly. just yeah. And this movie started in the 80s, the idea of it. Um, while we speak about Hollywood Shuffle, Keenan Ivory Wayans wrote that with Robert Townsend. Yes. History repeats itself because... Legend. Absolutely. History repeats itself because Keenan Ivory Wayans and Robert Townsend wrote the original screenplay for The Five Heartbeats. Yeah. Robert Townsend used $40,000 out of his own credit cards to make sure that he funded Hollywood Shuffle and get that movie made. He shot it without any permits. Yeah. So he was had he had his crew 
walking around UCLA's campus with UCLA gear on, like yeah. so they looked so, like film yeah, students. Yeah, yeah. But they were really filming a real movie. So I mean, he went to. I mean, he he became legend in Hollywood yeah. for this and kind of Definitely. breaking the rules and getting his mm-hmm. movie done his way and it being successful. Um, but Robert Townsend grew up like a lot of people in that era being a Temptations fan. Yes. That's my, they're my guys. Yeah. yeah. And obviously, as most Temptations fans are, your favorite singer is David Ruffin. Yes. That's my other guy. He has one of my favorite songs of all time, What I Miss You. Yeah. And if you listen to that song right now, like, mm-hmm. David Ruffin missed that woman. Mm-hmm. He missed that woman. Like, I've been drinking and crying and yeah, all that, man. Yeah. He was definitely on it. But uh, he also has, you know, one of my favorite Jay-Z songs. The sample from David Ruffin's Common Man mm-hmm. is used in that song. That one day, I promise one day your heart ain't gonna stop. But I've never, 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 never changed. I've never changed. You go back, listen to his music. You know, the cover of uh, Cushion OJ is yeah, a ripoff that's of, a rip off of David uh, Ruffin's album yes. cover. I won't say a ripoff, but paying homage. Like, yes. that's a fly cover. Yeah, like, that, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, the, the original is a fly cover. David so, Ruffin, legend. Yeah, definitely. And shout out to Wiz. Mm-hmm. I would have done the same thing, for yeah. real. Yes. With that being said, as a kid growing up, he asked himself one question, which is, why did the Temptations break up? You know, especially back in those times, your favorite singing group just breaks up and yeah. there's no internet, there's no yeah, blog sites, whatever the case thing. is. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You really don't, whatever you get is coming from Jet, Ebony. Yeah. And they probably just giving you they broke up. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? They broke up, they looking for a new lead singer, man. So that one question, why did the Temptations break up, really led to the origin of the Five Heartbeats. Robert hit up Keenan. They got to work. They wanted to write a script that had a group that was similar to The Temptations. Yes. And kind of go through the journey of what a music group, a black music group, during those times would look like. They had a screenplay, pitched it to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers verbally agreed to it. And the icing on the cake is Robert Townsend wanted David Ruffin and Eddie Kendricks. Yes, two lead singers of The Temptations. Yeah. Two legends. Yeah, because who do you think that... How many people you think can name all five temptations right now? R uh, R H R H. Yeah, slim, ain't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, but they know them too. Yeah, definitely, without question. Yeah, and I hope so. Start I hope, them. I hope people know Eddie Kendricks. They're gonna start off with them too, and yeah. I, and they might know Otis from the movie, like yeah, because don't nobody yeah. here to see. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and one of them named Otis, right? Yeah. 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 Damn, that's a terrible word. <laughs> Shout out to Otis Williams, brother. If yeah. you're listening, man, you the only surviving. Yeah, man, legend. So yeah, them those are their uh, those were the technical advisors yeah. of the movie. So we they ready to start getting things underway. I said this is about 85, 86, yeah, around that time yeah, when yeah. this is happening. And it's funny when you look at the original cast for this movie, it's a completely different movie. Yeah. It's it, it's hard to play the what if game, obviously, because you know these characters as them. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the movie was cast perfectly. Obviously, for those listening, let's talk about the original cast. Robert Townsend is obviously the writer-director of the movie. He was always yeah. going to play Duck. Duck was yeah. written for himself. Um, Keenan and Ivory Wayans was going to play JT. David Allen Greer was going to play Dresser. Vanessa Williams was going to play the Teresa Randall role of Dresser's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Bobby McGee and Damon Wayans were going to be the cousins. 
Um, shout out to Bobby McGee. Uh, it's been yeah. a while. I don't know when the last time he's been seen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's doing well. Yeah, shout out to Bobby McGee, man, yeah. silly dude. Yeah. Ronaldo Ray was gonna be the Apollo MC, and Robin Harris was gonna be the host of Little Jay's talent show. So the John Witherspoon role. Yeah, the big name that we know now, who Robert Townsend wanted to play Eddie King Jr. is Denzel Washington. In school, I think it goes right back to what you just said. It's interesting because nobody... Denzel's not Denzel Yeah. in 86, 87. Right. And him and Denzel and Robert Townsend worked on a soldier story together. Mm-hmm. And that's when... We'll get into this as we go along with this podcast. Robert Townsend has an incredible eye for talent. Yeah. So a, a, story, a soldier story came out in 1984. Yeah. And I think you're looking... You know, at this point, you probably knew... That's who I want to play, Eddie, Eddie King, King Jr. Yeah, 84. Like, straight up. That's, that's the guy. Mm-hmm. That's him. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see what kind of movie that is if Denzel is Eddie mm-hmm. King. Yeah. Because you never... I mean, Denzel can do whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's because we know what he's done after. Like I said, I think it was cast perfectly. Yeah, I, for I, sure. Yeah, Michael like, Wright I was... Yeah. It's... It, it, It'd be different if, if 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 Michael Wright was horrible or something. We'd be like, "Yo, Denzel might have saved the movie," but we doing a podcast about it, so right, <laughs> Mike did his thing. You feel me? Straight up. So, um, once they had an idea of the cast and everybody that was going to be in it, they began working on some technical aspects of the movie. This is about nineteen eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers called and they said that they were going to pass on the script, and that just shot down Robert and Keenan's whole vision they hold momentum so why would warner brothers pass on the script they said they didn't think the story worked and they didn't think there was an audience they couldn't see how the movie could be funny and dramatic and this is a studio telling somebody this and we're talking about the five heartbeats it's crazy those lines don't even make sense to talk about a movie like this so that just lets you know people making decisions especially Mm -hmm. in the 80s especially about our culture yeah didn't even know how to reach us yeah. other than us playing those traditional roles. So, mm-hmm. so of course, that's a big blow to them. The fact that they thought a movie was being made, Warner yeah. Brothers sounded like they were on board, then all of a sudden they come through and say, never mind. And it really makes you start wondering, as a black filmmaker in the late 80s, and remember, this is pre-Boys in the Hood, this is yeah. pre-New Jack City, pre-Menace, all of that. How is this film going to work? Is am I going to get be able to push it? Are people right. the people making the decisions? Are they going to be able to see what I'm seeing and right. make this thing work? So that doubt started creeping in. Robert and Keenan would continue to work with each other, and it got to be about 1990. And Keenan came to Robert and said, "Yo, like you doing your thing? You you mm-hmm. got a name to yourself, but I I'm still out here trying to get some things together." And so this is an interesting thing that I've I've thought about this a lot too. So he came to him in 1990. He did. Uh, I'm gonna get you sucking in '88. So I, it makes me wonder. Is that '88 or '87? '88. Okay. So it, so that makes me. I don't know. We gonna get that one for sure. Yeah. But what? How successful that movie was, or how non-successful it could have been, like. Yeah, because that might be like this. Like Five Heartbeats bombed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we'll get to that later. Yeah. And I wonder if I'm gonna get you sucker bomb, right? We are, but we all us, know it's a yeah. That, yeah. That's a cl- like we think about that movie. We think that that motherfucker made a hundred million. Like ain't no way, like because that's because that's classic to us. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, the kid version. Yeah, the kid version. I know it ain't making yeah. hundred million. Nah. But, um, yeah, definitely, man. Let me get one. Yeah. Uh, 
but but Keenan came and said he need to start making some money. Yeah. And he just sold this pilot to Fox, sketch comedy show. He couldn't work on the movie anymore. Obviously, it worked out for everybody because that show was in living color. Yeah. Spawned a lot of stars. Legends. Um, we can go through the list of that. Yeah. But the bigger issue for Robert Townsend was most of his cast for the Five Heartbeats went with Keenan and yeah. said, we about to go do In Living Color too." Yeah. So he had to redo the whole cast. And we'll get into um, the cast of this movie when we get to categories later on and do character breakdowns. So he and his casting director, Jackie Brown Carmen, went to three different cities, New York City, Chicago, L.A., and that's how they found and compiled the cast for the movie. Obviously, there are some supporting characters in the movie who don't play a major role, but they're important to the story and people that we love. So you got a couple people we'll just kind of talk about briefly. Hawthorne James from day one was always considered to be Big Red. Uh, Robert Townsend, I think, saw him in a play. I, I, I can't remember the actual story, but he saw Hawthorne James and just knew that that's how he wanted to yeah, play Big Red, Red in yeah, his head. For sure. Which is an interesting point because... Robert Townsend wrote this movie and he directed this movie. Mm -hmm. So you would like to think he, of course, wants to be involved in the casting of this movie. Anybody who's written a fictional story um, can relate to this. You have the image of that person. You have yeah. the personality of that person in your head. Yeah. So you can write a choir boy and then no, go through all these people and finally see somebody. Like, Hold up. That's choir boy. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what I thought yeah. choir boy would be. And it's like, like, I don't need you to read any lines. I just need you to do certain things and I know if you that's how choir boy would do it yeah. you, you did that oh that's how choir boy would do it so he's he's seen something in Hearthstone Thorn and he was like yo Big Red yeah that's Big Red yeah, that's and Big Red that, yeah that's, that's very <laughs> like I always love that aspect of it because this yeah. movie's been in his head since as far as we know the yeah. mid 80s it could have been longer yeah. right. you know what I mean right because that's, um, that's a question that he had since he since the 60s right Dave left in 68 right so that's a good point. So, like I said, as long as this movie's been in his head, he knew what these characters looked like, sounded mm -hmm. like, how they acted, how they responded in certain yeah. situations. I just always love that. And I always find it interesting when when other movies, like let's say a Game of Thrones or mm -hmm. a uh, Harry Potter, I wonder if J.K. Rowling has any say in the casting. And I wonder right. if the characters in the movie yeah. are what she imagined. Yeah. Because I know yeah. people that read the books have a whole different image of... Yeah. Everybody, yeah, and that, so it's interesting. It's just yeah. an interesting thing to me. That's Definitely. the that's the nerd movie side of me. Yeah. So when Keenan came to him and told him he just sold his pilot, doubt crept in. Mm. And he really had to sit back and wonder, like, is this something that I want to do still? And it, can I get it done? Am I like overreaching right now, trying to get this movie made? As everybody should do when you have a vision, especially if 2020 is touching anything, go after yeah. it. Like, there's nothing that you have yeah. to lose. You're just right back at square one. Mm -hmm. Go after whatever you're looking for. So Robert changed up. He changed up the people around him. Yeah. He felt his management team wasn't supporting him like they should. Yeah. He fired him. Got new yeah. managers. That's a fact. And and I think if you're hiring people to work for you and hire and their their job is to get stuff you want done and they're not getting it done, then what are you here for? Like, right. That's your main goal as an agent. Like I'm paying you. I'm paying you to make sure this gets done. Right. It's not getting done, you're replaced. Like, yeah. A lot of times those relationships seem like they work backwards. Yeah. Like I'm doing you yeah. the favor. Nah, you getting a salary from me. Yeah. And not only that, he had to get a team that believed in him just like he believed in it. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It couldn't just be that you're in it for the check. Like, you got to really believe that this can work. And I need right. you to go in these meetings with these studios yeah. like you believe this movie yeah. can work. Yeah. 
Facts. Because they're going to listen to you before they listen to me. Mm-hmm. And they got a meeting with 20th Century Fox. And they greenlit the movie with an $8.7 million budget. <sighs> now, once again, we talk about Hollywood Shuffle. The total budget on that was 100000 And 40000 was credit card debt. Yeah. So you get $8.7 million. That's a big step, a big especially step. in 1990 for yeah. a black director and a black film. Yeah, that's a fact. Now, the interesting part about the 20th Century Fox thing is um, before the meeting was over, Robert Townsend yeah. told them, like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I need I need David yeah. Ruffin and, and Eddie Kendrick. Straight up. And what yeah. they tell him? Hell nah. <laughs> yeah, straight up. But I, it, it, it was just, for a reason... Yeah, because we, we didn't even think about it. Yeah, you, they read the big... Of course, they read the script, so they see the Big Red character. They're going to say, so who's Big Red? Barry Gordy? You want Barry Gordy lawyers after us? Yeah, and you want to, do you want the two lead singers of The Temptations to be your yeah. technical advisors? Come on, with a, man. With a character like Big Red in it? Yeah. So who you yeah, think they're going to think it yeah, is? Yeah, come on, man. Cut it out. They said, hell no. Yeah, and <laughs> just like... And we were just like Robert Townsend. Robert Townsend sat there like, I didn't I, even think I about didn't that. I didn't think about it, yeah. That's a nostalgia kicking in, and Robert Townsend, mm-hmm. like, I just wanted David Ruffin to be a technical advisor That's on my movie, it. man, because he inspired yeah. it. But yeah. Legally, nah. Nah, we can't do that. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that led to the Dells being the technical advisors of the movie. And I, you might, do you remember how they met? I can't remember. Was it a random concert? He said? Yeah, they, they said they was having a random, just happened to be having a concert in California. Yeah. And, and he, you know, went to the concert, and after the show, Got backstage because he's, you know, Robert Townsend. So, talk to him. Yeah, Robert Townsend actually rewrote the script after that meeting with the Dells. And I'll let you talk about that later on yeah. um, in the podcast. But that was an interesting meeting. And like I said, they ended up becoming the technical advisors for the movie. So, Robert Townsend had more of an interview style more than an audition style. Yeah. And legendary shit. To keep it short, when you audition in Hollywood for a movie or television show, you walk in a room, you have your script few people from the studio and from the project are there and they'll have you act out a scene mm-hmm. and then, you know they'll just kind of next it's one of those type yeah. processes yeah that's um, dude, that's you see on tv is real on that part like next yeah, yeah sorry yeah yeah, yeah they'll, they'll do that and that's how they figure out who's who sometimes they'll have a lead actor in the room and see if there's any chemistry before between them that's a normal audition process in hollywood robert townsend like i said he treats it like a job interview yeah. He'll just kind of fill you out. Once again, we talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. He wants to know if you are the person I saw in my head right. when I wrote this character. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And it's interesting bringing this point back again. He just has an eye for talent. I mean, just a lot of the people that were considered to be in this movie that didn't make it, yeah. they all ended up having careers. And I'm not necessarily A-list Hollywood careers, but yeah, definitely but, recognizable. Yeah. You, every, you know a lot of these people. Robert Townsend knew, like, you got something that's just not for this movie. But I know I'm going to see you in something at some point. And you got people such as uh, Garcelle. I, I know her last name. I don't know how to pronounce it. But we all know where it's fancy yeah. from Jamie Foxx show. Yes. Um, you got Michael J. White, Legend. Alan Payne, Legend. Clifton Powell. Which Legend. Is- <laughs> I can't wait to do a Clifton Powell Clifton episode, Powell, man. man. That is an absolute <laughs> legend. Niecy Nash, Don yeah. Cheadle. All these people Legends. showed up in these cities. Mm-hmm. Um Interestingly enough, sidebar conversation. Yeah. One person that we both know was in Chicago. was waiting on this. Was R. Kelly. Yeah, Kells was there. Only reason I'm bringing this up is because one day I really want to have the conversation about art versus the artist and where that line is drawn. Yeah. Because, you know, we live in the cancel culture. Mm Mm-hmm. 
which is very fascinating in itself. Yeah, man. And um, they tried to dig up my guy Mike and bury him, man. He's already yeah, gone, yeah, man. Bury him twice, <laughs> man. Yeah, this shit crazy. But it's uh, I, I know people that still listen to R. Kelly. I'll be listening, man. man, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we. Anyway, man, I know people that listen to R. Kelly. I know people that still enjoy the art of people who are terrible people, terrible human beings. I just want to know what people's standards are and what they actually, where, what, what it makes to draw, like, what it takes to draw the line in the sand. Like, I'm not supporting this person ever, ever again. Yeah, we see it today with the whole Tori and Meg situation, which yeah. is a serious issue. Yeah, um, straight up. And not one that I really want to get into on a movie podcast. But nah. overall, that topic of the art versus the artist. Yeah. Like, can I still enjoy this person's work even though they're an awful person? Mm-hmm. Cancel culture going. I want to have that conversation one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Straight up. Can't say R. Kelly ain't talented. Nah. A terrible human being. It's terrible. Like, terrible, awful person. Yeah. But I say all that to say this. A lot of interesting faces that showed up at the auditions. Yeah. Diane Carroll was in this movie. Legend. I don't know if... I don't know how many people appreciate or really understand what Diane Carroll has done for our community. Yeah. As far as being on screen. Yeah. And how big of a deal it was to have Diane Carroll in this movie. Yeah. She was uh, one of the first... Well, the first black woman or man to have a... A, a primetime show. It was called Julia, I believe. She played a nurse. And that came on in 1968, which was a big deal, bro. Because just think about the door she opened for a lot of other... Our favorite city, Martin. Well, I know Martin if it weren't for Julia. Like, right, that's, right. that's crazy. And she was playing a doctor... Uh, a nurse, I'm sorry. She was playing a nurse. Like, that's a big deal. Like, mm-hmm. that's another thing for Robert Townsend to... That made him want to show, like, it's, y'all forgot about Julia? Like, we play nurses, we can... So, yeah, for sure. That's real, legend. man. It's absolute legend. And she was fine. She was yeah. she was fine in this. Yeah. Like, so straight I can up. only imagine what she was doing. See Big Red, you see Big Red up in hey. Illinois? Hey, man, straight up. At the funeral. Hey, if the you, funeral. Hey, so come you come shouldn't be alone at a time. <laughs> Big Red was mug, man. Hey, we ain't gonna talk about it yet, man. Uh, <laughs> but... Diane Carroll, uh, she had options at the time. Obviously, she's yeah, Diane Carroll. Yeah. But obviously, Boys in the Hood is being made around the same time. Yeah. And she passed on the role in Boys in the Hood to be in the Five Heartbeats. Yeah. I'm thankful that she did. Yeah. Because I love Eleanor. I love her yeah. in this movie. And she's, Diane Carroll been around the block. So yeah. Robert Townsend likes to interview people. She interviewing him right back. Yeah. You know, what? where do you see my character going? Yeah. Where do you see her growth? Yeah. How would she react in this situation? Yeah. She interviewed Our, Robert Townsend to make yeah. sure he was a director for her. And it yeah. worked out. And she, uh. And, and once she get to that point too, she, I believe she was letting him know. So I don't think Eleanor would do that. I don't. Yeah. I don't think she would do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, got, and what you going to tell Diane what Carroll? What you telling her? You right. I don't think she would either. Right. She yeah. Erase that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to cut that. Yeah. So. Shout out to Diane Carroll, man. Yeah. I mean, she'll definitely have her own podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Her own episode, excuse me. Chuck Patterson, he played the role of Jimmy, which is the Five Heartbeats manager. Another interesting big what if for this movie was he placed that call to Whitney Houston. Legend. Met with her and her father mm-hmm. and wanted her to play the baby doll role. Yeah. Sold her on the fact that you can win an Oscar and a Grammy. I want to get your thoughts on this because mm-hmm. the baby doll character that we see in the movie mm-hmm. doesn't have like a big for him to come to her and say we're gonna I think I could see an Oscar and a Grammy 
that doesn't resonate on screen with what we had. So does he specially write stuff for her, you think, in, in that uh, position? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I think he went in there and, and pitched an idea with her and sat down like, you got to pitch ideas when you're talking about Whitney Houston and yeah. what is this, 1990? Yeah, 1990. Come on, bro. You yeah. sitting down, you pitching. And her dad was there, so you mm-hmm. know what that means. So uh, I believe he pitched an idea, gave it a rundown, like, yo, I think you're going to have enough acting parts to win, you know, to win something, to win an Oscar. You're going to have enough singing to win this Emmy. It's going to be dope. Blase, blase. So I think, yeah, because she had to have had a solo song at some point. Yeah, for sure. You know, that had to have been written in the movie. It was more than, I love Troy. Yeah, it was more than that. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than that. I yeah, promise you. Yeah, that and church singing, and that was pretty <laughs> yeah, much that it, singing-wise. So, Come on, man. Yeah, I'm sure Whitney's, that role was expanded. Whitney dad was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that role's got to be expounded, so... Uh, yeah, that role's got to be bigger for Whitney to be in it. Yeah. Um, so in Chicago, there was a little girl who was singing with a group at the audition. And after the group finished, she went to Robert Townsend and asked to sing for him. Right. Now, of course, I'm sure Robert Townsend's <laughs> sitting there thinking like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for it, for one. But she is a little girl. Mm-hmm. And she had enough courage to come up and ask me to specifically sing for me. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna be yeah, nice yeah. and give her, you know, give her a few seconds. Thank you. That was great. Appreciate yeah, it. That's yeah, what I'm playing. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back to you. Uh, <laughs> but she started singing and it, sh- it shut the whole room down. Yeah. Everybody stopped. Mm-hmm. They couldn't believe what they were hearing from this little girl. Her name is Tressa Thomas, and she played the younger sister in the movie. Mm-hmm. That scene was specifically written after she sang for Robert Townsend. Yes. So just think about the talent that she possessed. I wasn't even thinking about this, but yeah. you were so talented. I got to find some Something way to put you in this movie. Yep. Like I have to have you in this movie. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, as we'll go throughout the episode, that scene caused a lot of <laughs> back and forth and yes. issues with Robert in the studio. Obviously, we know how it played out, but we'll talk about the story behind it. Yeah. Last thing on casting before we talk about the major characters later on. Whitney Houston ended up calling back, her agent called back and said she's going to pass. Yeah, he said that shit wasn't big enough for me, wasn't flashy enough. Yeah, straight up. So as we transition into things that actually were going on set, it's interesting to remember that Robert Townsend wore every single hat that you probably could on a movie. Yeah. He was directing, he was acting, he was scouting locations. He was looking for original songs for the group. He took some free time and was writing Meteor Man in between hey, downtime. Man. Like, was legit writing Meteor Man while he was yeah, on the set of Five Heartbeats. Definitely. Legend. That's a lot, man. Yeah. You're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing all of these things, that means you're kind of slacking in another area. And yeah. one thing where it showed was the acting side of things. Yeah. Obviously, Robert Townsend could act, but Five Heartbeats is a music group. In the mm-hmm. 60s, you got to dance. You got to dance. And Robert Townsend himself can't dance. Yeah. So you have four of the five members together rehearsing on the same beat. And you got Robert, who's trying to scout this location for the Little J scene. Or right. trying to scout a location for the Apollo scene. Right, right. So when you come in and you're messing up everybody else's rhythm, it started to become a problem. And yeah. the actors were telling them, hey, man, you're messing up what we got going on. Yeah, like you bonding. Yeah, straight yeah. up. Like, you got to yeah. be here or don't. I think that just shows the passion that he had for making this film. Like that's a lot to put up with, even if it is a passion project. Like every single day, we got to yeah. do this. Like every single day, like mm-hmm. all right. So the studio starts looking at the dailies. 
And if you don't know what a daily is, it's pretty much the footage that you shot for the day. And the studio gets a hold of them. They like the dailies. Buzz started getting around Hollywood, especially black Hollywood, that this, you know, they got something going on. Robert Townsend got something yeah. cooking over there. Yeah. And he started to get a lot of famous actors to visit the set. Yeah, Lamont Dozier, Glenn Turman, Lou Rawls, Robert Altman, and of course the legend, the guy, Denzel Washington. Yeah, man. And it's interesting to from the time when Robert Townsend was first writing this with Keenan to where we are now. Yeah. You know, he went from that's the guy from a soldier story. He's good. Yeah. I'm telling y'all, this dude yeah. named Denzel. Yeah. He's gonna, he gonna, ne- he nice. gonna be next. Yeah. Nobody knew who he was really. Mm-hmm. And then he's already nominated for best supporting actor for glory yeah. at this point. Yep. He hadn't won it yet, nope. but he was nominated. So the Denzel buzz is real big. Yeah. At some point during shooting this movie, he knew, like, we could win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Like, we could really win an Oscar. And he started to go for it a little bit. Yeah. And there were scenes that he had, like, for example, the uh, breakdown scene or nights like this mm-hmm. when they actually rip off the suits. That took a long time for them to film because they were yeah. issued with the suits ripping apart. Yeah. And little things like that cause your film to start being delayed. Mm-hmm. And if when you look at studio budgets, there's no, they're no different than real life budgets. Yeah. We got a certain amount certain of money amount that of money. we're spending yeah. on this movie, and yep. we're not going That's over it. that. Yep. And when your movie start getting delayed, the studio has every right to step in and say, "All right, you behind schedule? That's cool. That's on you." Yeah. We gonna cut some of these scenes. Yep. And of course, one of the first scenes they mention is the little sister little scene. Sister scene. They send a bond person to the um to the set. Man. A bond person is the person that lets you know. It pretty they keep pretty much keep you on track. Yeah, like, you know it's six o'clock. You said you was gonna film this scene today. Mm-hmm. You can't film it in the dark. I'm gonna have to tell the studio that was another day that you missed this. You, missed you know this. it's yeah. pretty much giving you a report. Somebody mm-hmm. on set, and they're telling you like we're not spending money on that. We're yeah. not you know so it gets to that point where you kind of have a, you know it's not fun to have a bondman on, yeah. on your set if Straight you're up. making a movie. But going back to the little sister scene, there were there was always back and forth. So the studio would come to him like, "You need to cut this scene," and Robert would just they had a list of scenes. Mm-hmm. And anytime they bring a list, he'll cut every list. Hey, I gotta keep the sister scene. I'll cut yeah. all the rest of these. Yeah, I gotta keep the sister scene. Yeah, and given that that's a musical scene, yeah, four hours is an impossible task. Like they set him up to fail. Yeah. They knew they wasn't going to be able to get what he probably wanted in four hours. Yep. So that was their compromise. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. He had no choice but to take it. Everybody on set worked. I mean, they, they did everything they could to make that scene what it was. And they were able to shoot it in the four hours. So that was one thing that got out the way. It's still not certain to be in the movie. Yeah. Um, but at least he was able to film it and he was happy with what he got. So you're getting stressed from studio trying to take money away. Studio looking over your back every second. Mm-hmm. Production being delayed for things out of your control. Mm-hmm. And then Denzel wins an Oscar. Yep. And you start asking yourself, did I make the right decision? Because him and Michael Wright, Robert Townsend, I'm talk, speaking of, had issues on set. Yeah. And they started to get into it about certain things. And you got to think, there's a lot of fine women on the set. Yeah, buddy. You got people like Leon and Michael mm-hmm. Wright. And they're on set competing for women. Yep. So a lot of there's a lot of male bravado. These dudes they're supposed to be together in the movie, but they're really separate on set. Yeah, I don't know him for real. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how we are well, yeah, as sure. men. Period. Yeah, Black sure. or white, you automatically in your like I don't know him. Yeah. 
which is funny to say, that's another reason why the films was falling behind. They, they the studio police finding condoms. Yeah, smoking. They they smelling the buds. They smelling the buds, and I and they they was filming in Cali, wasn't they? So yeah, they was filming in Cali. Yeah, come on, man. This is nineteen ninety though. You know, we huh? still. That's new to that shit. New to us. <laughs> shit, they been smoking that in Cali. There were three close-ups of the opening scene, I Got Nothing But Love For You, mm-hmm. where, where Leon's character, JT, is supposed to have a, a, a close-up of his face. Yeah. And every single shot was ruined because Michael Wright's hand was blocking his face. He confronts Michael Wright about it, and they get into it yeah. on set in front of everybody. And it gets so heated, Michael Wright turns around and punches a wall. And Robert Townsend said, is that supposed to be me? Yeah. <laughs> Because if it is, we can go in a room with no furniture in it. Yeah. We can handle business. Yeah, straight up. Like Straight up, yeah. Brad. We can handle business. Mm-hmm. And that's where Harry J. Lennox, the actor who played Dresser, yeah. stepped in. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of the argument. And things turned around on set because he was that voice of reason, similar to his character. And yes. he looked at him and said, what are you guys doing? Like, we, we, mm-hmm. we making history. Yep. Like, we got a black film, big studio, you know, millions of dollars as far as budget. We got Diane Carroll on set. Like, this is a big deal. Yeah. Looked at Robert Townsend and said, you wanted to know why the Temptations broke up. This is why. Yep. Things like this. Small, petty arguments. Mm-hmm. Disagreements when nobody's seeing the bigger picture. Yeah. How big we can be together versus apart. Yeah. And from that point on, things got better. Things got good. They started rolling and became like a real brotherhood, like a real group. Um, even we talked about earlier Robert Townsend not knowing how to dance. They'd yeah. stay late yeah. and help him. Yeah. Like, make sure they do those routines together. It really started a brotherhood between the members. Yeah. They bonded so tough that it's to the point where people think they're a real group. That's that's always insane to me. Yeah. Like, you hear arguments like, who's better, the five heartbeats or the Temptations? And I'm like, like, what? The five heartbeats. The Temptations have a real catalog, bro. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like, five heartbeats have like three half songs in the movie, for real. And that's about it. And if you go, and if you find it, it it says soundtrack anyway. Like, come on, man. But yeah, man. I think that's, I always think that's hilarious when people like really think the five heartbeats are a group and they getting together every year for a reunion like nah bro that's a movie yeah or when people like you like that's Leon bro yeah, like you like, know Leon's you know not Leon a singer other stuff yeah. yeah like I like the I like the Five Heartbeats better than Temptations I'm like oh the movie like no the group like no <laughs> no no <laughs> that's not that's not a thing bro you can't say that yeah like, not real come on, man straight up but that, that shout out to Rob man tip my hat to Robert Townsend man. man because straight like up. I said man this is before the Temptations movie this is before Five Heartbeats this is for Jackson 5 American Dream yeah um, to make us care about these fictional characters as mm-hmm. much as we care about the real people the real people yeah uh, I, I think that pretty much sums up the movie mm-hmm. that everything you would probably want to say about it Dresser gets everybody in place they finish filming the movie everything's perfect yeah. like they even the bondman who obviously is like the, the angel of death yeah. on set he even got a role as an extra, yeah. as a security guard in the movie. Yes, That's sir. how well everything started to click in after that moment. Yeah. And sometimes you just need some adversity to get through. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you hold in a lot of emotion. You just need to say what you need to say, and things yeah. will be smooth from there. So Fox saw the movie. They liked it. They still wanted the sister scene cut. Yeah. They said it had nothing to do with the movie. They also said they wanted to cut the church scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't even be before we even get into that Robert tells Robert tells the story and we can't like he was as bewildered as I sound right now because yeah. he told them like we can't cut the church scene 
that's where Eddie gets saved. And the studio said, saved? Saved. Like, what you talking about? <laughs> and that's got to be a cultural thing. Like, I don't know if I can walk up to somebody not... I don't know if I can walk up to somebody who's not from the culture and they would understand if I said, you know, uh, Johnny back in church, you know, he just got saved. And they would be like... Because I'm sure some people be like, saved from what? Saved, yeah. What you mean? I'd be like, good for him, man. Proud and good to hear that, man. Yeah, so yeah, we know like, what it means, yeah, but I'm sure there's yeah. some people that be dumbfounded. And there's probably going to be some people that hit me up like, what? So you got to explain the save thing to me. We need to be in the room when we're telling our story. Yeah. Women yeah. need to be in the room when women's stories are being told. Yeah. You know, if, you know, all types of groups. If you're, if, you're, if, it's some, if there's something being told or done or broadcast about your heritage, your background, your cultural upbringing then there better be people in that room mm-hmm. spearheading those conversations because nobody can tell your story better than you. Yeah. And the fact that he had to deal with this on numerous occasions, the sister mm-hmm. scene, the, the the church scene, and not even going back to WB, Warner Brothers not yeah. seeing an audience for yeah. it. It just yeah. speaks volumes, man. And I wonder how many like great scripts were left on the table yeah. because this is the time they were living in mm-hmm. and they really thought about black movies a certain way. Yeah. Um, so it's incredible to think about. Robert made a deal with them. They agreed to keep those scenes in the movie and they'll put them on the test audience run. Mm-hmm. So every time that there is a movie that's coming out, you pretty much have the director's cut of it, which is everything they shot, edited to a certain point, and they'll test it to an audience. And these audience have test cards and they'll have certain mm-hmm. questions. It's like a questionnaire. Yeah. What was your favorite scene? Mm-hmm. Who was your favorite character? Who didn't you like? Stuff like that. And but when the five heartbeats get shown at Fox's test audience, the audience, of course, love the scene with the little sister. Of course. I mean, that's that holds up still to this day. Yeah. And the highest testing scene in the movie was the church scene. Mm-hmm. And the studio had the audacity. Because then he got saved. saved. <laughs> yeah, man, chill out. Yeah. Man. You didn't even know what saved meant yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah, straight up. Nobody knows you like you. Mm-hmm. Like we, Robert knew those scenes would work because he's from the culture. Yeah, he and knew there was a whole audience that knew exactly what was gonna happen. And I mean, at the, at this time too, like if you knew the right people, you you got the buzz, or you heard it, or you seen. So word got back to Whitney, and and Whitney called Robert and said, "Yo, I made a mistake. Hey, I, I should have been in this. Yeah, I should have gone ahead and took that that scene you wrote for me." <laughs> That's real. That's real. And that's how you know it's big. So what happened with the five heartbeats? Because it's a box office bomb. Mm-hmm. It was a flop. It was one of the highest testing movies in Fox history. Yes. So that's when they officially knew we got a smash on our hands. Yeah. I think it was only in theaters for one or two weekends. I don't think more than two weekends for sure. It's crazy. When you look at a movie that comes out in 1991, in that whole era... The trailer, I would say the trailer and the soundtrack probably mm-hmm. play the biggest role. Yeah. In this film, for this film in particular, they didn't have any say-so on the trailer. Hawthorne James, who plays Big Red, told a story in the documentary about he was at a movie. I think he was with his wife. Mm-hmm. If it was his girlfriend's, I apologize to his girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> and they saw the trailer for the movie. And he said, if I didn't know, pretty much if I wasn't in this movie yeah. and knew what it was about, I wouldn't go see this movie. Yeah. A lot of black films fell, vic- fell victim to that, where they yeah. didn't have say-so on the trailer, they didn't have say-so on the distribution. Mm-hmm. 
And whatever they came up with, that's what it was. And this trailer didn't do the movie any justice. You wouldn't even know what the movie was about by watching it. It was just random scenes with some weird music in the background. Kind of like they did exploitation movies in the 70s. And it didn't... Nobody went to go see it because they didn't really know what it was about. It's funny because my mom saw the movie in the theaters. She saw it at Hollywood Theater in College Hill. She doesn't remember why she saw it or what got it to the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but she it wasn't the trailer. Yeah, she <laughs> I, she she can't recall why she told me the movie was not packed, as we yeah. know. Um, but yeah. she said she remembered watching it and going home and telling everybody yeah. Yeah. that they need to go watch this movie. Yeah. So shout out to moms because yeah. I know growing up we had the blue box, yeah. the blue VHS box. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and that's probably why the whole family had yeah. it. For real. Up. There's another issue at the time of the release is New Jack City that came out and remember this is 91 mm-hmm. we still got the sti- we still have the stigma of black films black movies yeah. you know, boys in the hood mm-hmm. you know it's let's be real it was scaring people it was scaring people when the 18 to 24 black demographic wanted to go see boys in the hood or new jack city mm-hmm. and actually there was a shooting at a new jack city theater i believe it was in new york yeah and that kept people away from the theaters like if you if you had a black film I'm not going to go see that. I'm not even going to go see the movie I want to see because right. I don't even want to be involved yeah. with whatever they got going on up there. And that was the stigma that was carried with us. And a lot of people were just scared off by it, especially after that shooting. That cast went on a promo run. They went on BET. They tried to do whatever yeah. they could to make sure people Summit, knew. Yeah, Teen Summit. Shout out to them. Wow. They did whatever they could to make sure people went out and saw the movie and knew what it was really about. But it didn't work and the studio pulled the plug. And just like my mom said, it wasn't until the movie came out on home video is when it really started getting yeah. buzzed. Yep. You know, back when Blockbuster was a thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could really just try, you know, check this out. Yeah, i check it out. Mm-hmm. Became a big time cultural icon. Like I said, everybody has it. Like, yeah. I had a conversation with my boy Justin, Jay Gaines, and he was talking about this movie and having the same meaning to it as, you know, you and I. Yeah. Just the whole nostalgia feeling mm-hmm. of it. And, how he yep. got hit to it and those mm-hmm. memories that it brings back and he can quote like we were talking about this is one of those movies where if somebody says they haven't seen it like you stopping whatever you're doing and you putting it on yeah. like you gotta watch this like right now straight up and it holds the test it holds up it stands the test of time yep. this movie is timeless I'm, let's get into a little bit of character breakdown let's get it mainly into obviously the five the group the, the, the five heartbeats themselves individually Tico Wells plays Choir Boy in this movie. He was cast in New York City. Um, the interview field process, Robert Townsend, he, as soon as he walked in, he just had one of those feelings about him. He even did some improv with him that had nothing to do with the film. Like He right. just knew, like, all right, I think that's Choir Boy. And it, right. that's what he told his uh, casting director, Jackie. And she said, you need to look at everybody. And he was like, nah, that's Choir Boy. Like, yeah. Tico Wells got the part. Choir Boy's an interesting character to me because I think he's the only one that shows progression throughout the film. And what I mean by that is he doesn't... They do a good job with this in the opening scene of kind of setting the tone for every character. He's the only one that's really not the same throughout. You know, you JT is going to be JT, Eddie's going to be Eddie, and they have flashes of good or bad moments. But Choir Boy actually went through a... There's a, a scene when they when Choir Boy had a girl in the room. They're like, Choir yeah, Boy's got a girl Choir in the room. Boy. So he yeah. had shocking moments where everybody yeah. else's decisions made sense with yeah. how you were introduced to them. And I think that his progression is interesting because 
the conflict when you're trying to live out your own dreams and somebody else has dreams for you also. There's a scene with him and his dad as they're going on their first tour and his mom is there also. And you can't serve two masters. His dad's a preacher. Mm -hmm. How can I get my congregation to listen to me and my own son doesn't? And that's a lot of pressure for a young person, you know, man or woman, to really be feel like you're disappointing somebody who's giving you life and still so much into you but you know I have to live my own life too I got to make my own mistakes I got to see what's out here for me Mm -hmm. and that's a difficult fork in the road to go and there's nothing like a mother's love because Mm -hmm. choir boy's mom is like a lot of our moms like just knows exactly what to say and Mm -hmm. gives you that extra push of encouragement but living life for somebody else or under somebody else's viewpoint their vantage point I think is a I think that's a conflict that a lot of people go through. And it's interesting to see Choir Boy kind of deal with that. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene where he left his Bible on at one of the phone, the rest stops. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so it, it did what it could as far as showing his progression and showing the ups and downs of where he was trying to go with his own life. And he obviously ends up back in the church. When he wrote that letter to Duck, he was explaining, I invested a, a large part of my group earnings into my father's church. Yep. You know, he got Eddie back. Yep. So I just, he, he's always, he's always been a very interesting character for me. Robert Townsend played Duck. To me, Duck was a leader. Like he showed that he loved his music many times. Uh, the Apollo scene, his music was all he had. Yeah, I don't, I agree with you that he's a leader. Um, I agree that he, I think that he's the heart and soul of the group. The group goes as he goes. You know, when he said he wasn't going to be a fire heartbeat anymore, the fire heartbeats yeah. broke up. He's quirky, for sure. Um, the opening scene shows him trying to figure out the song that he was singing with his little sister. Um, yeah. So he's been working on that since the beginning of the movie, which I think that details and shows you that Duck was a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. He wasn't just going to do things just to do them. He was the one that people, obviously, Dresser came to him when Bobby didn't show up. Um, and Eddie wasn't there. They don't talk about it, but I couldn't imagine, like, when you think about The Temptations, the movie, and they show how the group started, like, them singing in high school and then going through that whole cycle, you'd have to believe that Duck was the one that got this group started. Yeah. He, he got definitely. the group together. Duck is the, I think, the avatar for the movie. I think we're, see, obviously, we're, we're seeing all, the movie yeah. through Duck's eyes right, and right. most of it through Duck's experience. Yeah. Um, so we're supposed to be feeling what he feels. Right. And Real quick. How successful of a writer do you think Duck was? Because obviously we see him in Malibu, right. I believe, in that opening scene, mm-hmm. beachfront property, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. types of plaques on the wall. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder like how many people he wrote for once everything happened with the Five Heartbeats. I would say a hell of a writer because he hadn't writ- written a song in. So what they broke up in. We'll just 70s. say 20 years. Well, yeah. He ain't wrote a song in 20 years. First, One of the first things that he asked for when he see him is what? A song. Straight up. <laughs> yeah, man. That's always just always been interesting. Like, Duck's career outside of the heartbeats, I think, mm-hmm. was fascinating. That could be his own movie in itself. Yeah. Harry, Harry J. Lennox plays Dresser. Um, he was actually work, working as a teacher in Chicago at the time. He had to take a half day from work just to meet with Robert. Yeah. And, and similar to Tico Wells and Choir Boy, he met him and it was just kind of like, that's Dresser. That's who I saw to be Dresser. Dresser keeps everybody in line. Mm-hmm. Dresser's the one that makes sure that people are on point. They know what they're doing. He wants to make sure he's sharp. You know, when we first meet Dresser, he's practicing his dance moves. Yeah. 
You know, he's getting Choir Boy together because Choir would, Boy's nervous about... Would you say he's second in command? Would you say he's the second guy? I think he's just a natural leader. I yeah. think in any situation that he's just naturally going to take that role. I think Dress is the one that they probably would... I think Dress is the one that would throw hands with him. Like, I think he'd beat yeah. everybody in the heartbeats up if it came down to it. And I think that they knew that and they respected yeah. his voice. Right. And it was naturally, you know, the whole... The, you already got the bass voice. You just yeah. got, he bigger physically than everybody in the group. Yeah. He just kind of got that look to him. Right. Um, but he really does play a role, I think, just like the real actor, of just getting everybody, keeping everybody in line. Right. Making sure that they see the bigger picture, making sure that they're... He goes out of his... So he's the one that finds out about Eddie being involved. Mm-hmm. Like, his attention to detail, like his his intuition. Something yeah. ain't right. I got to get some more information on this. Mm-hmm. He keeps his ears to the streets. Right. Like. You know what I mean? He's right, just kind right. of that guy. Like, yeah. I'm, I got y'all. I'm going to look mm-hmm. out. I'm always going to make sure I'm observing everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a big brother. I, yeah. would, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if Dresser was the oldest person in the group. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, he kind of gives yeah. you big brother vibes yeah. in a sense. From the way he can son you to the way he loves you. Right. So Leon got the role of JT through Robert Townsend casting director Jackie. Um, she called him up and said, hey, I got a guy you might want to look at. Um, Leon, who at that time was getting a lot of uh, flack um, for playing Jesus in Madonna's, Madonna's Like a Prayer video. So he was, I'm sure he was getting a lot of hate mail <laughs> in, the, in, the 80s. Um, in the 80s for playing Jesus. Black um, Jesus. Yeah, Black <laughs> Jesus. So Morley, he wasn't a good guy. JT won shit. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Like, he stole his brother's girl. Um, listen, yeah, awful, that's terrible, but here's what I'll say, and I, I don't want to say in defense of JT. It's my big brother, y'all. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. Defend it, man. No, 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 not a defense. This is just a movie hole that I want to just discuss real quick. And I'm sure this had to do with the cuts that the studio made, yeah. Robert Townsend made, but there's just a lot of questions I have about the whole... JT, yeah, Duck, Tanya, yeah, Triangle. I always Obviously, I'm not justifying taking your brother's girl, man. Nah, nah absolutely don't do that. Not. But I wonder when I wonder when they started all messing around because Tanya's at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Duck's writing her poetry. She thinks he's in the Salvation Army. He played yeah, him, yeah. and she randomly comes back, and you know, obviously, Duck takes her back in. Yeah, we don't find out until about the JT situation until they announce her getting married. Right. Mm-hmm. We see that in that hotel scene, and they do a good job of this. Yeah, when the famous two heartbeats of one night, yeah, my wife's not gonna Shoot. believe it. That whole scene, when, boy, it was when, hurt, wasn't he? Yeah, when Duck finds out that JT and Tanya are <laughs> in the hotel room together, they yeah. do a good job of showing us they're not sleeping together. Mm-hmm. They're both fully dressed. Right. The first thing she says to JT is, "Stop passing messages to Choir Boy." Mm-hmm. So we know that. They haven't seen each other in a while. Right. JT calls some emergency meeting, it seems like, to, like, don't hurt my brother. Like, this is my brother. Obviously, it was something bad, and he had no business doing it because Duck and JT didn't speak for years. Yeah. And the movie shows that. But i love to know exactly what happened because if this was, like, back in high school, I messed with Tanya, and then I didn't since then, and all of a sudden, all this is going on. Right. Whatever. (laughs) But obviously, if this, you know, Duck and Tanya dating right. and JT still hitting. Yeah, that's wrong. Like that, obviously, that's dead yeah, wrong. That's like, wrong. You know what I mean? That's wrong either way, but that's even, that's blatant. Like, yeah. now you 
you blatantly being disrespectful. Yeah, so sure if that's that. the case, which the movie doesn't really give us a clear timetable on, because mm-hmm. Tanya seemed like she was over it and she was ready to move on with Doug. Right. So I, you know, I wish I just knew more behind it, but so it sound like a good defense. It's not a defense, but it's just right. an interesting thing I noticed about the movie. So I was just randomly thinking about this. What about his moment, JT's moment, with that he had with Doug? in the room and he was talking to Duck about that was when Tanya came and asked him did he want to leave remember he said I gotta go talk to my brother first so he came in there and JT it was like 68 because I wrote it down in my notes and he was saying that he's tired of tired of pretty much I'm tired of being a hoe what about it what about that scene? That's that's Duck giving JT advice. That's not JT. Well, no. What I'm oh. saying is like about his character. Yes, I feel like that goes back to those cuts. Like we missed, we missed something. Like I don't think we missed anything. I think that it just it, the film does a great job of setting up that JT's, you know, a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. He's unfaithful. He doesn't really have any kind of sight set on being a one woman man. Um, obviously, you have the scene where he's upset when they're calling out Flash's name. Yeah. You know, yeah. Duck tells him that's because you're using the same, same rap, rap from 65. Yeah. Like, so that attention is something that he's still seeking from the women. At some point, you get tired of it. At some point, no matter what happens, no matter how many, how many women you get, you look at yourself in the mirror like, this isn't what I want. Like, I want to build something. And right. I think that's just a natural thought that he had. And it could have lasted for an hour. It could have lasted <laughs> for... You know, right, months, right. and he maybe changed his life. But lastly, is Michael Wright playing Eddie King Jr. Uh, for the record, I don't know if this is still a big thing, but it's Eddie King, K I N G. Eddie King. I know some people still refer to it as refer to him as Eddie Kane Jr. K A N E or C A N E. It's Eddie King. Eddie King. He just says it like Uncle Elroy. The Kang yeah. around here. Kang. Um, right. But he, I got to nerd out about Michael Wright because of how great of an actor he is. Legendary. Like the role, the what he did with this role of Eddie King Jr. was one of the best acting performances. I mean, he embodied that character in school. You always say he got that sixties. He had that sixties look. look, bro. Down pat, like the from the hair to the, the mannerisms, yeah. the the sing, the veins pop, like everything about that. The, the whisper, the, the whisper, greatest whisper of all time. It's man. real, man. Goat whisper, bro. Like, I don't, and that just, that goes to how great of an actor he is. Yeah. Um, because he don't need to do all that extra to get his point across. Yeah, the art of acting. I mean, yeah. he is just, uh, he's up there mm-hmm. when it comes to it. He's extremely talented. He was cast in, he was in New York City. Jackie went to Robert and said, I got an idea for Eddie King Jr. And Robert Townsend was like, nah, nah you know I want Denzel. Mm-hmm. And this is towards the late 80s. And, or excuse me, this is. This is 1990 at this point. Mm-hmm. That little unknown Denzel you knew back in 84 ain't it no more. Yeah. So, so Jack had to tell him, like, I know you want Denzel, but Denzel's getting big paydays. Mm-hmm. Like, Denzel just won an Oscar. Like, we got to get somebody, you, we got to have a backup plan just mm-hmm. in case you can't afford him. Right. And he met with Michael Wright at his apartment in New York City. Pretty much Robert Townsend knew before he left, this is going to be Eddie King Jr. Right. How impressive do you have to be to bump Denzel. Mm-hmm. Not only just bump Denzel, but to change the mind of somebody who's been picturing one actor for one role for years. Six years at yeah. this point. This point, this point, like you said, it's been 84, 86 years. I couldn't imagine anybody playing Eddie King Jr., including Denzel, including nah. any actor that you want nah. to name. Like, he played this role perfectly. Mm-hmm. Some roles were meant for certain people, and this was one of those. Yeah. Like, he killed this role. Eddie represents 
humanity to me. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is he went through the ups and downs of life and still somehow made it to the end standing. Yeah. And that's just, I think his character was one of the most realistic because it shows you different aspects, even from the parents. You know, it shows yeah. you his parents to show you that he came from a toxic situation mm-hmm. where his dad telling him, like, he ain't going to be shit because I ain't shit. Yep. And that that carries on generation mm-hmm. to generation. So he's projecting mm-hmm. that on his son, you know, projecting his failures on him. Right. Eddie had a lot of good moments in the movie. And I think you can relate this back to Michael Wright's great acting. He did so well as the drunk, high, out of control Eddie King Jr. Mm-hmm. that you forget a lot of the humanity and, and the great moments he had right. when he was sober. So there's the scene where Jimmy, when he first meets the five heartbeat, tells him, you know, I promise you, if you if I'm your manager, we'll come back in a month and we'll you'll win that talent show. And if you don't, I'll give you the hundred dollars myself. Yep. And obviously they don't win it. And Eddie's counting the money. Yep. The dresser comes up. Hey man, that, that ain't, ain't right, that ain't man. Right. Give Mr. Jimmy his money back. He's like, nah, yeah. deal's a deal. Mm-hmm. But in that very same scene, somebody from the club comes up and tells them, hey, the owner wants to sign you guys to a contract. And the first thing Eddie did was, you got to take that up with our new manager. Gave him the hundred dollars back. Yeah. The deal was you was gonna pay us. Mm-hmm. Like so, all I'm doing is honoring the deal. Yeah, I'm giving it back because I, I trust you. I trust you. Yep. You got the scene where Dresser finds out he's having a baby, mm-hmm. and they're in the hotel hallway. It's him, Duck, and Eddie, and he doesn't know what he's gonna do. He's not making enough money as a heartbeat to really take care of a family. Big Red shows you a lot about Big Red's character. Big Red gave him the number of a doctor that mm-hmm. can handle it for him. Yeah. Harry Lennox does such a great job with the scene because he can his character can't even say the word abortion. Mm-hmm. You know, and Eddie's character and Eddie says, Didn't you just say you love her more than mm-hmm. anything? And he reaches in his pocket and gives him all the money he had and ducks follow suit. Side note, I was thinking to myself, like, Eddie probably was a drug addict prior like not pri- not drug addict but he probably was doing drugs prior like at the very beginning then i thought about it again like he the drug addict ain't giving you all this money he probably his... dibbled and dabbed like yeah. the normal let's have a party because side another side note in the temptations movie they act like it's just david ruffin but i read the book and otis williams said they all used to do coke because that was what they did yeah. so but go ahead yeah. So, yeah, i know you defend eddie ruffin <laughs> yeah, to, yeah to... i defend david man that's my guy man shit he does that. He does. You know, he's holding. He's the one holding uh, Dresser's baby. And when they do the montage oh, yeah. scene, in yes. honor of yes. the Temptations. Yes. So he's probably the Godfather, mm-hmm. or something like that. Probably. I mean, he Eddie did a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, that people seem to forget about. Like I say, he also had to fight his demons. Mm-hmm. Talk about the trauma, and he probably needed therapy from what his dad would say to him, yeah. his upbringing. I'm sure. Yes. I'd say all in all, though, he he. He dealt with it. You that's know what, what I'm mean? saying? Because at the end of that church scene, that's just... That's I mean, all of that emotion. Talk. That's all the years coming out. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, I was just going to say, and he talks about it. Like, when he has that conversation with Duck, like, he just lets it be known. Like, I've worked through those demons. And yeah. if I can do it, like, you definitely can. Because you ain't been through a quarter of what I've been through. That's, so That's real. Because there's a moment from the time you uh, from the time you see Eddie show up. In his old suit at the limo, the dang, yeah. that famous suit. Yeah. I mean, I mean that famous scene. Can nobody sing like Eddie Kane Jr.? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't see him again until the church scene. Mm-hmm. And then you hear the um, the radio ad saying that former Five Heartbeats lead singer Eddie Kane Jr. is yeah. in critical condition. He was shot in a robbery. Yeah. 
So you don't know what's going on with Eddie's yep. character at that mm-hmm. point. Um, but yeah, like you said, he stood he stood tall at the end of it. Yeah. Like he's been through it, but he's he stayed and he fought the fight. I remember, I would say, probably the third or fourth time I seen this movie because the first, the second time we was too young to understand everything and to catch everything. But yeah. the first time where I heard Eddie Eddie died, like or Eddie got shot on the radio, I was like, oh, he died. Like there was no. There was no question about it. Like he died. Oh, okay. Then, you knew what kind of yeah. You knew yeah, what yeah, Eddie yeah, was yeah. on. Yeah, you knew what Eddie was on. Yeah, I think they did. I think that's what they wanted everybody to think, or at least think that it was headed in that direction. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the redemption stories the redemption, were saved. Yes. Um, what you wanted to really get, and that's that's I think that scene in itself represents Eddie as a whole. Like there's mm-hmm. just redemption of life. Like yeah. no matter what you whatever, no matter what I've gone through, my past doesn't define me, mm-hmm. and it doesn't define where I'm going. Absolutely. And Eddie's a you know. A walking image of that, and it also goes, and this is something my pops taught me at a young age, mm-hmm. knowing the company you keep, yeah, and learning. I never forget the words guilty by association. Mm-hmm. Like my pops taught me that at such a young age, like it don't matter if you got pure intentions. If you with right. somebody that's up to no good, you can yeah. be guilty just because you with them. Yeah, like keep your company around you straight. Yeah, and that's what Eddie got with the wrong company, mm-hmm. and it really, you know altered his life. And I'm sure there's a lot of people like that. Like, man, if they had a little bit more guidance or it's the right person in their life, yeah. some decisions they made wouldn't have been made. And you can look at anybody for that example. So, yeah. obviously, Eddie's my favorite character just because he shows the widest range. And his soundtrack is legendary. Um, they have a song on there. Well, they have We Haven't Finished Yet. On the soundtrack, you'll notice that Patti LaBelle is on that song. And Tressa Thomas, right? Is that her name? Mm-hmm. She sang it in the movie, but on the soundtrack because of how intense and how how great she was, the only person that they could find to match her intensity was Patti LaBelle. That's crazy to think of. I'm 12 years old. Right. Like, I haven't even reached my, my vocal peak yet, but... That's incredible. Yeah, they had to call Patti, man. And Billy Valentine, who does the voice of Eddie Kane. His singing voice is mm-hmm. Billy Valentine. So they all are on this song together. They killed it. They rocked it out. Um, but what's your favorite song? In the middle. In the middle. In the okay. middle is my that's, favorite. That's song. my favorite song as well. Yeah, man. It just it, it sounds. You listen to In the Middle right now, and it just yeah. it holds up. Yeah, like, it easily. just holds up, and it's easily the best song on. Yeah. In the and, movie. And Duck wrote it. So, I would I would easily say every song that we hear, we assume that Duck wrote. Yeah, absolutely. All the songs hit, in my opinion. I think it's saying something too that. He had to find these original songs. He found them. And you have to figure he had to include 60s music because that's right. that's a character in the movie, like the, the 60s, the, the time. He got to get his props for that. Whoever whoever the coordinator of the music was, which probably was Robert Townsend. <laughs> yeah, more than likely because I know he was looking for the original music. Yeah. And that, like, I always like when fictional movies exist in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah. there's fictional things, but... You, when you yeah. if you look closely at scenes, you see posters of Marvin Gaye and The Temptations, yeah. and um, all these different legends from the '60s. Mm-hmm. And Entourage was the TV show that came on HBO. It does a good job of that, where you have these four fictional characters, but they are in real Hollywood with yeah. real directors and real yeah. actors, and these people might yeah. pop up. I just yeah. think it makes everything more realistic, which yeah. is probably why people think that the Five Heartbeats are, are real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about let's talk about scenes because this is where it's really fun for me when we get into the scenes of the movie, um, some of the most impactful scenes and favorite scenes. So if we talk about impactful, 
Um, I'm going to start with America the Beautiful scene. Um, this is when they go on their first tour and they get pulled over by the police officers down yeah. south and you just see the dehumanizing nature and what is which is done. It hits different when you've been in that situation and yeah. you've been pulled over simply because of your color and what you're assumed to be. Yeah. Um, that's happened to me. I know that's happened to you. Yes. And this, the looks on their faces as they're, you know, how do I know you a singing group? Sing mm-hmm. something. Like, just knowing that nobody wanted to sing. But in that time, that's what you had to do to make sure you yeah. made it to your next destination. Yeah. And the, the, the slap of your manhood. Yeah, you that's what, what I mean? it was. Like, oh, y'all singers were saying something. Yeah. And just going through Spread your stuff, it. man, for no reason. Absolutely. Just throwing it on the ground. Just tossing gifts. Like Shout this. out to the fact that Eddie Kane didn't have nothing on him. Yeah, man, it's really, <laughs> definitely would have thought Eddie had something on him at the time. But yeah, that, that scene itself, um, not only that weight of it, but immediately after they finished sinking, yeah. they flash to everybody in the car. And this is great reaction, expression, mm-hmm. facial acting, um, which I'm a big fan of. I yeah. think that's some of the most difficult acting you can do is when you don't have a line to say, but you have to deliver a certain body language or a facial expression. It's a very difficult task to pull off. And I think that they did, everybody did a great job with it. And just Robert Townsend, I never understood, I I never picked up on this until I was older, but Robert Townsend singing America the Beautiful right Mm -hmm. after that. And just what that song is supposed to mean and what it really means to certain people in this country. Um, just a great irony and i loved how they filmed that and shot that scene and it's sad that that scene still resonates like that's the sad part and it makes me wonder like when was the first time i noticed that him singing that because it's beautiful yeah yeah, because i definitely definitely noticed it the last couple times but yeah i don't know it's a good question we talk about it all the time we've watched five hundred so many times that we don't even know when we actually started mm-hmm. to understand, understand it. it. We just see it and we know different yeah. things, but to actually understand the messages yeah. and stuff going on, I can't even tell you because I've yeah. seen it since I was... Because the thing about what kid. I said earlier, I, after watching it the third time, I still thought Eddie was going to die. Like I, That's how young I was. Like, right. You know what I mean? Like Another impactful scene is the magazine montage of just showing you how big they had become. Um, and it was right after the Apollo. They signed a deal with Big Red, the famous, which color you want. And then they hit you with the montage of uh, magazines, Jet, Ebony, Time, Newsweek, I want to say, Esquire. Like, it was just showing you how big they had become from black homes to everyone's home. Yeah, Esquire is international. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another impactful scene, album cover. It's a lot of history behind that. They just recorded the album. They're getting their... They, they get to see the first copy of the album. Um, it's an exciting moment. Everyone's gathered around. They ask like two or three times, well, you, you got the album cover? We want to see the album cover. They finally see it. They get this album cover, and it's a picture of a white family playing on the beach. And they get quiet just like it is right now. And they're like, what's up with the album cover? And the I don't know if he's a manager. I don't know what he is, but he lets them know. He obviously works for the record company. He lets them know, like, this is a positive thing. This is big for your career. It's going to it's gonna get everyone to notice who you are. So in the 60s, this was a real thing. This happened a lot. Lil Richard is a prime example. Lil Richard, um, if you don't know, he made Tutti Frutti, um, Long Tall Sally. Those are two classic songs that were re-recorded by Pat Boone. And Lil Richard wrote these songs, produced these songs, and they were stolen 
and re-recorded by Pat Boone and Little Richard was given a half of a penny. Um, I don't think that's fair at all. Um, Elvis Presley is another one. He stole a song from Big Mama Thornton. We all know and love Hound Dog by Elvis Presley, but it wasn't originally recorded by him. She didn't earn much money from that as well. I say all that to say this was an impactful scene because when Robert Townsend found out about this, when he first met the Dales and he found out about they weren't on their first, he asked them like, hey, I was looking into you guys. I seen your first record and you guys weren't on it. And they all stopped and looked down and were sad. And they said, yeah, they were ashamed. yeah, the record company said that's what we had to do. So he immediately was like, wow, you can, it's 40 years later and these guys are still holding their heads down. They're still upset about this. So definitely want to put this in the movie. Yeah, and it's just, you know, the famous line, JT, you don't see you don't see five niggas um, crossing over and being on Elvis Presley album cover. <laughs> Hell nah. Like, that just shows what it was. It's pretty much saying it without saying it. Right. You know, coming in with that idea. And it's just crazy where I'm glad we're not in those times as far as that. But yeah. It's just nuts to think about. We can't even market you guys as great as you. Mm-hmm. This is some of the best, best music, music ever made yeah. in history. But we but, might not be able to sell it because y'all yeah, black. Yep. Like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. As far as favorite scenes throughout the movie and some of the favorite lines, um, the opening scene, I talked about it earlier, it just sets the tone for every character, every yeah. main character in that group. From the fact that, you know, Bobby, who we only seen in that opening scene, he's supposed right. to be the lead singer. Eddie's a throwaway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it sets the tone. That obviously, Eddie's not there. He comes in running late. You know, he's on trash. We talked about Duck and his opening scene. We talked about Dresser and Choir Boy yeah. when they were in there. Um, JT's out here trying to Mac, mm-hmm. looking for women in the audience before he finally settles on his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that started the competition with Flash. Yeah, that's definitely, that, man. And that's, yeah. Hey, man, that shows you a lot about Flash, man. Yeah. Flash is a... Because I always wonder where the Five Heartbeats was from. We don't get a clear answer. Yeah. New York, Detroit, yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> but we do know from that talent show that Flash is from Columbus. Yeah. Which says a lot right. about yeah. Flash. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Makes a, everything starts to make a lot of sense. But, but yeah, Flash was a uh, that that whole rivalry started and it carried yeah. on throughout the movie, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And the opening scene just has a great flow to it. Yeah, everything just from the cutaways back to the actual performance from the opening number when you hear the baby dolls mm-hmm. to cutting away the different scenes and what people are doing in the background and still being able to hear the music in the background. And, and not only that, it doesn't it it plays the song like. I don't know who how they edited it, but yeah, it doesn't, you can still hear it. it doesn't you can stop. Still, you can sing that song word for word while it's going on. Everything's going on, and you will catch yourself not missing a beat. Like right, and that's so. And I think that's I think that's dope because that's how it actually would be if you were there. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can be there and be yeah. having a conversation to the side. You still hear that music, yes. you know, yes. and that's what everybody yes. was doing. It showed all different vantage points, mm-hmm. um, which is why I love that scene. We talked about the sister scene um, with Robert Townsend finishing the song. That was incredible. The nights like this scene, the one where actually Eddie comes back to the group. Yeah. I think that's, that's impactful. That's the famous, how's it feel to be me? When he says that to Flash. Yeah. And that's interesting because you pointed this out to me. I never noticed it. In that opening scene we just talked about, mm-hmm. Flash is in the background. So by the time Eddie comes in and steals the mic and their mm-hmm. five harpies are performing, you can see Flash in the background, like dancing and looking at Eddie King and seeing like practicing yeah. his moves at the moment. So I just thought this on the spot. Is it fair to say that Flash saw something before we all saw it? 
Because think about that, Eddie wouldn't even know body to the group. And Flash was like, hold up, who is this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like Flash is the <laughs> Flash is the walking version of you made it a hot line, I made, made it a, a hot song. song. Yeah, straight like, up. He saw he, that like you got something, something, but I'm about to take it to yeah, another level. And I'm you Flash. don't know how to use it. Yeah, you're using it wrong. Like straight up. So yeah. Hey, yeah, so that that goes back, like I said, that that just all is full circle with whole, uh, yeah. you know, how's it feel to be me? Because at that beginning scene, he was trying yeah. to be Eddie. He yeah, saw what Eddie had up. and was trying to do that. Flash had beef for two fire heartbeats, by the way. JT and Eddie. Yeah, I just straight thought up. about that. And right? came through. <laughs> and he, and came he delivered. Through, like came through, delivered, <laughs> made the hottest song, <laughs> yeah, and, bounced. and bounced, <laughs> and bounced in a classic mm-hmm. fashion. Like so, one of my favorite scenes is the scene between Big Red and Bird. Mm-hmm. Classic, probably the most iconic line from the movie. My office hours are from nine to five. Yeah, I think that's one, probably one of the most quoted lines, if not the most quoted line in the movie. Yeah, and what your boy Bird tell him? <laughs> My office hours are from nine to five. Fuck your office hours! I need to talk to you right now, motherfucker. Talk to him, greasy, hey. didn't he? So, side note. I, 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 we were just talking about this. How many drinks you think it took for him to build up that courage, build up that nerve? To... So, <laughs> all right, we get introduced to Bird at the Apollo scene, which newsflash, that's our favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. We're going to get to it here in a second. Absolutely. Um, but we get introduced to Bird at the Apollo scene, and everything about Bird up until the moment <laughs> where he gets into altercation with Big Red. I mean, can't even call it the altercation. Nah, that wasn't the altercation. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but everything up until that just shows you, like he was like the OG Drake, like he just yeah. he was very light skinned yeah. Bird was very light skinned yeah. dude, straight man. Up. like straight crying up. on stage, yeah, like begging his mm-hmm. boy. He was just very over the top, and, you know, extra. Yeah, yeah. So it, it probably took a good, it, it probably took a good four shots, or yeah. something real strong, mm-hmm. or somebody hyping him, like yeah. somebody really telling. Yeah, Red ain't Red ain't got you together yet. Yeah, all that stuff he doing for the hot five heartbeat. You yeah. see, he just bought them all cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he ain't got your yeah. paperwork in order. Like, yeah, yeah. that's all it must, takes. Yeah, that's all it takes, man. Because Ray, Ray, Bird was out of character. He was. Yeah, he so. was. And your boy put him right back in line. Because, bro, Big Red smacked fire out this man. Smacked the perm out his head. Oh, and, man. and and I, <laughs> and then the you find out the behind the scenes, like the history is like. That was real. Some of that, some of that was real. Like, and that was just because Robert Townsend is like, "Yo, I want to win his Oscar." Like, he's getting heated. He's mm-hmm. he's causing these guys to try to. He's doing a lot to try to bring the best out of each other. So, so in that scene where Hawthorne James, Big Red's character, is smacking up, smacking up Bird, who's played by Roy Fegan, that's real. Almost like to the point where. Roy Fegan tells Robert Townsend, like, yo, do something. To, like, this man is grabbing me up by my neck and by my face. I use this for other shit. Like, I, this, I, yo. Like, you, bro, you get, hey, you seen it, bro. Like, he big was Drake on vibes, him. Big yeah. Drake vibes. Like, yeah, that's definitely. something that Drake would be on. Like, yo, I know we supposed to, I know you trying to win this Oscar, bro, but I use this for other shit. Yeah. My lady like this. like. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite scenes is this scene between Eddie and Flash. The church scene and this scene are probably tied for second behind the Apollo scene. Um, but when I watched the documentary and got the story behind this scene, it yeah. made it even more yep. special to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love stuff like this. So so John Kennedy Terrell plays the character of Flash. And 
actors and directors have relationships. They have to walk through and talk through things. You know, a lot of actors, like we talked about with Diane Carroll, they work better when they understand what their character is going through and right. what direction they're going. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of times where you'll read the script and this doesn't make sense or my character wouldn't do that. And right. John Kennedy's trail was like, hey, this scene where Flash and Eddie get into it, Flash ain't just having Eddie up in his face talking right. all types of crazy. Like this, right. he doesn't need a monologue. Mm-hmm. I just, as a man, he wouldn't have that yeah. happen. Yeah. And Robert Townsend was like, you know what? You're right. We don't need all of that. Right. Now this goes back into the conversation of Michael Wright, who plays Eddie King, being a method actor. If you don't know what a method actor is, it's pretty much you stay in character the whole time you shoot mm-hmm. a movie. So when those when the director says cut, you don't go back to being yourself you go you stay in character he doesn't go back to being michael wright he stays eddie king mm-hmm. on set offset morning <laughs> afternoon night yep. he's eddie king jr mm-hmm. and he doesn't turn back into michael wright until after the movie um there's a lot of famous character or you know, a lot of famous examples you know, probably the most famous would be heath ledger in yes. the dark knight um he got so wrapped up in that character I know Michael B. Jordan, when he played Killmonger in Black Panther, yeah. he uh, he had an interview saying that he had to go to therapy and kind of get yeah. himself out of that role because you get so deep into mm-hmm. it, and it's a lot of these characters are kind of darker. Yeah, and you kind of kind of take you and you got to take yourself there mentally. So Michael Wright's a method actor. Robert Townsend approaches him and pretty much says, "Hey, we need we're going to change this up in the scene," and he's not yeah. talking to Michael Wright; he's talking to Eddie King. Yeah. So he looks at him, and this is mind you, this is the the drunk. Mm-hmm. Hi, Eddie King. Yeah. So he looks right at Robert Town and says, I ain't changing nothing. Yeah. He said it a little bit more colorful than yeah. that, but pretty yeah. much gone with that. Yep. So Robert Townsend saw an opportunity at this moment. Yeah. And one of his favorite directors is Kazan in the East of Eden. He pitted two actors against each other just to make sure the scene was good. Mm-hmm. And he just had this idea like, you know what? I'm gonna make these guys face off anyway. Their characters are always at all. Excuse me. Their characters are already at odds, just both being lead singers. In that scene, you see the, you see Jimmy and Flash talking, but you mm-hmm. don't really, you don't know what it is. You yeah. just tail end of the conversation, and that's when Eddie first confronts him about like Big Red pulled me to your coat a long, long time, time ago, mm-hmm. and so Robert used all that energy that was going on for that scene. So he already promised. John Kennedy Terrell, like, all right, we're going to tone it down. Michael Wright kept delivering the lines like he could and actually getting more intensified with it, like getting in his face to the point where John Kennedy Terrell comes to Robert Townsend. He's like, yo, like he's not listening. He's still Mm -hmm. doing what he's what we said we're going to cut out. Not to mention, I'm a black belt, bro. I'll whoop his ass (laughs) right now in front of everybody on this set. (laughs) Like if he don't tone it down, like it's going to be me versus him in real life. Right. And uh Robert Townsend, you know, all right, man, you know, I told him, yeah, I don't know what's going on, let me yeah, go talk to him. Yeah. He go back over to Michael Wright, do it even more. Yeah. Like, I love it. Keep, keep going, keep, keep going. going. So the, the take that you actually see in the movie, mm-hmm. when Flash's character slams the door, that wasn't in the original script. That was real life anger and animosity. Yeah. And you can see it when you go back and look on their faces. Yes. He slammed that door out of frustration because... Mm-hmm. He thought Michael Wright was going overboard. Mm-hmm. Michael Wright, being a method actor, stayed in character. He finished his lines talking to the yes. doors. And that's where you get that iconic scene. You felt that energy. Yes. That's why it's one of my favorite scenes. Yes. Classic scene. And then getting into it, as I said earlier, I can speak for you on this. Our favorite scene is the Apollo scene. Yes, sir. Real quick honorable mention. Yeah. The scene directly after the Apollo scene. The scene when Big Red approaches them for the first time mm-hmm. and they first play Shot Brother. Mm-hmm. I'm only bringing this up because of Shot Brother mm-hmm. and because it has one of the iconic lines. 
I gotta fight every night to prove my love. Yeah, that scene alone had those two iconic moments. Yeah. Um, was Shaw Brother work? No. I don't think so either. Maybe back in the 60s. But I don't think so. It's just a weird concept. But it's classic. Yeah. Kendrick used it in the song. Yeah. Hey, he was at work at JT yeah. line too. That, yes. I forgot about that line. That yes. was in that scene. Yes. On Kendrick Lamar's damn album, he's got a line, work at JT. So, I mean, that line holds up. Yeah. Over, like if I say work at JT and you don't know what I'm talking about, then I know what type of person you are. Yeah, straight up. Like any of these lines, my office hours are. You know, I gotta fight every night to prove my love. Can't nobody sing like Eddie King. All of these are just classic lines. That scene in particular I had three of them, and I think it should be mentioned. Um, but the Apollo scene. So you have to remember the Apollo for that era was everything. Um, some of your favorite artists of the '60s, probably even this early '70s, was discovered at the Apollo. Michael Jackson. Gladys Knight and the Pips. The Apollo's history is is etched in stone, man. Like if you go to Apollo and you can perform there and and not get kicked off the stage by the Sandman, you can perform anywhere and and be a okay. That's real. So that whole yeah. just obviously what that meant, and it was the turning point for the movie. It, yeah. it was really the, where. So right after that, you see the five heartbeats going this whole another trajectory, yes. and it had. I get goosebumps still. Yes. Every time this scene comes mm-hmm. on, and I've seen this movie countless times. Yes. Like I literally get goosebumps, especially on the part when Eddie grabs that microphone and just hits you with the. kind of mentioned this earlier when you were talking about Duck, the character. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite lines in this movie and it's more so just because of how Robert Townsend delivered it mm-hmm. when JT was telling him, do the steps. Do the steps, yeah. Duck. He was like, nah, JT, man. That's my music. That's my music. If you've ever created anything or any kind of piece of art, music, poetry, short yes. story, anything, like you know the sacrifice and the effort and the time and the energy and the blood, sweat, and tears it did to to create that content yeah. and to have somebody just destroy it mm-hmm. right there, like in front of you and not care about the work that you put into it. Like yeah. It's infuriating. So the fact that Duck went over there, like you saw it in his face, like I think you pointed to, I- I'm ready to risk it all. Yeah. This is the biggest moment in my, my career. career. Yes. And I don't care, I'll ruin it because you're not yes. about to sit here and mess up my music, yes. bro. Yes. Yeah, he bumped him off and like I said, he grabbed that mm-hmm. mic and the rest of the say was history. Yes. One another reason I love this scene is because it shows them overcoming the odds, mm-hmm. and they needed each other to get through that scene. Yeah, you already you already have a member of Bird's group whose cousin is the MC, mm-hmm. so he sets him up for failure, as you yes. hear from the opening of this podcast. 
you have the house player, the house mm-hmm. piano player that they get hit with that rule. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's something that's against the eyes. You had Bird telling his girlfriend, um, fake ass Gina, <laughs> to bring all your friends and make sure y'all boo him and yeah. cheer loud for us. Like mm-hmm. they're stacking the, the eyes against him. And at one moment, it's really them five plus Jimmy and Sarge against everybody else in that building. Yeah. And they come through together. Mm hmm. You know, and they all pick up on off Eddie's uh, off of Duxley, really, because he's yeah. the one that took over the music. Eddie started singing. JT and Dresser fell in line. Choir Boy even came back and killed yeah. it. And yeah. you know, I love I love the part where uh, where Eddie gets Bird's girl, yeah, and gives her that kiss. She yeah. just falls out like, and that look Eddie yeah. gives, like, like get somebody come get her, man. What I thought the- she- I thought she was. I thought she man. was. I seen you born earlier. I thought you was. Yeah, yeah I thought you was about something. You can't mm-hmm. even handle it. Go on, somebody come yeah. get your home, girl. And that's and that's like what you was talking about the odds too. Like Eddie's parents were there. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Red was there. Big Flash Red, was- yeah. Big Red with Monroe. Flash was in there jocking, stealing moves. Oh, yep. I like that. Oh yeah, that's nice. Yeah, straight up, <laughs> straight up, man. Yeah, man. Everybody important in that movie was at the Apollo watching them, and they hey. saw the five heartbeats become the five heartbeats. Mm-hmm. And that's that that scene is just like I said, goosebumps to this day, man. Yeah. Just the way they delivered it and just overcame. Yeah. Like I even love the part when Dresser like hit him with the two piece mm-hmm. jab. Yeah. Like, yeah, he knew it. Like yes. Eddie's all right. We back. Yeah, we back. We back. Yes. Like, yeah, I love it. Yes. You gotta get hype, man. When you like, you know what I'm saying? You know yeah. how hype you gotta be to be. Oh, yeah. look at him! Look yeah. at him! That was they. They did their thing, and yeah. so we have this thing where me and you watch movies. Um, we give it thirty minutes. That's our. That's our deal. Like if you to, if you told us right now, whoever's listening to watch a movie, we'd probably give it thirty minutes. Yeah. And if that thirty minutes and two seconds, if it ain't hitting, we like, all right, yeah. cool. I tried. I it tried. Ain't the same yeah. Me. Um, this I, I would say this Apollo scene happens around twenty seven minute mark, right? And that's that's so, so if for, if for some reason you weren't already drawn yeah, into the movie, which you yeah. should have been by the opening scene, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have a thirty minute rule like us, like you definitely sucked in after this Apollo scene. You yeah. gotta know what happens. Yes, this scene is everything, man. I love this scene. Yeah, like, I love the Apollo scene. It's easily my favorite scene in the movie, mm-hmm. like easily. Um, the way I'm not, I'm the way Eddie just man and his veins busting out, bro. I thought he was gonna, yeah, yeah like it's yeah. ridiculous. Like he that was all from the soul. Yeah, like yeah. everything because yeah. it starts. That's a mellow song. Like, yes, you know what I mean, real smooth yes. dance moves. Like he had that whole arena and, in the palm. He had that whole and, auditorium in the palm of his hands. Yeah, and to think, and let's just say this: we 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 remember watching Apollo with Steve Harvey was the host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you remember how if. You wasn't busting. If they ain't like how you was sounding by the first 30 seconds, Bruh, you was getting sand mad. And they was ignorant the, the with it. The funniest like, ones were the ones with 10 seconds in. They yeah. Was like, oh. Like, as soon as you, uh, boo. So, yeah. the, the fact that they didn't even, they didn't even have to recover from the sand, man. Like, that's dope. So And it was, you got it was acapella. Yeah. After Duck's, like, mm-hmm. first, you know, takeover of yeah. the piano, you hear the audience clapping. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man. That, yeah. That's iconic. So yeah, I, I, we could talk about the Apollo scene for days, but that's yeah. easily our favorite scene. A couple quick hitter categories, and then uh, we'll wrap this up. First one is the John Witherspoon Scene Stealer Award. Yes. So that's just an award that we're going to give out in each movie for somebody who's not really in the movie a lot. Um, enough to remember them, but not enough to really be considered a main character. I think right. that there's only one choice for this. Big Red. Big Red. Big Red's an Big iconic Red. character. Yes. Um, another person that you know is terrible. Like... I wouldn't do any type of business with Big Red. No, 
No. Like none whatsoever. And, and, and also, side note, Jimmy knew better too. Yeah, you could tell by the Jimmy way. First of all, you could tell by the way Eleanor looked at him when they mm-hmm. first saw them after that Apollo yes. scene. Yeah. Like your woman ain't never gonna like if she got a bad feeling, you might want to trust her. That yeah. woman's intuition is nuts. Yes, it really is. And you can obviously tell there was some kind of history there. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's they're showing you something when he gives the card. Remember he Big Red tries to hand the card to Eddie, who eventually they come to odds over yeah. and Jimmy intervenes and takes the card and he's and looks up Big Red and start that so they have a pass. Um, or even even in Jimmy's past, they've come across each other somehow. So right, Big Red is a uh, dirty some bitch, man. Yeah, he is, man. But he, uh, your eyes are glued on him anytime he's on screen, no matter who he's sharing the screen with. And I think the only close second I'd say is probably Flash. You yeah, know, he'd probably be my second pick for this uh, award because because I love John Kennedy Terrell and the way he. Embodies Flash throughout this whole movie. He's just mm-hmm. he's just one of them dudes. Like man, this, this dude's something else. This man, he's a silly dude. Man. Flash yeah. is Flash. Yeah. Flash a character. Mm-hmm. Um, Hawthorne James for Big Red gets our first ever John Witherspoon scene. Yes, sir. Yes, Ironically, sir. John Witherspoon's in this in movie. the movie. Yes, um, yes. But he didn't get enough scenes to even qualify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The reason we're calling this that award is because we talked about in our episode zero how he just steals scenes. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most famous ones is Boomerang. Boomerang. Where that whole, he has one scene in that movie. Yes. And you remember it. Yes. You quote it. It's memed up. It's memed up. Mushroom. Everything about yeah, it. So, Netflix. I mean, he has that ability. So, and, even with Big Red, like, you get into some of his history. Obviously, they point, painted that he's a shady dude. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that he's involved in Jimmy's death, which sidebar to this day I still am extra cautious when I'm getting in my car on the street yeah. side because of the scene yes. with Jimmy. That's yes. just one of those scenes that this movie always made me. Like, I'm making sure I ain't going out like Jimmy. Right. Where a car is just coming on the side and I just get ran up on it. Yeah, I ain't, I ain't going out um, to like the, Today, like literally earlier today, yeah. I stopped for something and when I was getting back in my car. Yeah, you did like, it when we was at mom's house. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I like, I don't play around just because of Jimmy, man. <laughs> Jimmy taught me that. Jimmy just was moving slow. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. was. I don't think I could went out like Jimmy. Um, but yeah, they 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 painted Big Red about to be a bad guy. He is, and he mm-hmm. he really you can just tell he gave you that feeling anytime you yeah. saw him. Most cultural moment. That's a category. If the if the if the shoe fence will award it out, and yeah. I think this movie one for me obviously is if you if you were part of the culture and you grew up in a big family. That scene when their song is first played on the radio mm-hmm. and you're in the bedroom with them and you see the cousins and the siblings mm-hmm. all in one bed, yeah. two to the feet, two to the headboard. Yeah. Like, that's a cultural thing, man. School and myself are from a big family. Yes. Got yes. a lot of cousins, man. Yes. And at some point, you over grandma's house, yes. you somewhere, Definitely. and you sharing beds with your cousins, yeah. man. All five of y'all ducked yeah. in, the, in the full size. Definitely have memories of that on 85, 85. Yeah, man. So that's a cultural uh, thing, man. I, I also think uh, cleaning before your mama get home. Like Definitely. If we don't get this done by the time mama get home, yeah. that song going to be the least of your worries, that's fool. Real, like, that's real. And not knowing and when they get home. Yeah. Oh, man. Especially on the weekend. Oh, it's over. During the week, you can buy it. Then moms get out Bruh, this time. Hey, I, it's been plenty of times. Moms and I wake up at nine. Mom, Saturday, mom's gone. Calling. Hey, I need that house clean. When you going to be home? When I get there. Clear. Oh, there we go. 
better get up and hey, whatever <laughs> yeah. you have planned, man. It's over. Yeah, you better mm-hmm. get it done. Real quick category, I wonder. Just stuff that we never would be able to find out, Dang. but we think about from time to time. We mentioned some earlier as far as like the JT, Tanya, Duck, Love Triangle. Yeah. Um, one for me, the biggest one, I've always wondered this, and I've never really had a conversation with anybody besides you. What right. happened to Bobby? Because Bobby was the lead singer in yeah. the group. Bobby's a yeah. character who was with Eddie at the card game at the yes. beginning. And, uh, my leg. My, 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 my leg. other leg. Yeah. Like, he's just... That scene happens, Eddie yeah. makes it, he doesn't, and that's all you hear from yep. him. So yep. I always wonder what happened to him. Mm-hmm. So another uh, what if, or I wonder for me, was was Jimmy a good manager? You remember his wife, Eleanor, said he had three groups, the Brownsville Boys, the Four Clovers, and the Esquires. And, she, and I believe she said when they got to the top, what they do? They left you. Yeah, man, it's questionable about Jimmy and what he was getting done and yeah. To, you know, build a group up and for them to leave. Right. Either he was a sucker or yeah, he was just bad at his job. One of the two. Stepping stone. Yeah. And um, even Big Red tried to get him out. Maybe he was too strong of a voice because Big Red tried to get him out. Last one for me is JT or Duck, who was older. And they never really talk about it. It's also it's also a weird just brother dynamic as far yeah. as cats. It works because we love the movie, but yeah. you can't. I don't see them being brothers in real life. But nah. I would say this. I think... Me being your big brother, mm-hmm. I think JT is the big brother. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I say that is because I don't see Duck. Duck never comes across like a punk yeah. in the movie. Like, it's just yeah. somebody you can walk over. Right. Um, and I think about a lot of the things that JT does are just big brother moves. Mm-hmm. Like, because if, if, if Duck was a big brother, he ain't going for some of the stuff JT yeah. telling him. Right. Saying to him, all of that. And I'm not even talking about, like, the whole stealing a girl. I'm just, like, right. the shy it's, brother scene. Yeah. Like, Duck ain't going for that if he big brother. Yeah. The, like, do the steps and stop acting like a bitch. Yeah. Like, talking up. to him like that. Yeah. Like, nah, like, bro, that's, yeah. that's not going down. So I think JT had to be the big yeah, brother. Yeah, because only you could pull a big brother move. Only big brothers can do something like that. Like, man, shut up and do the steps, man. Yeah, chill out before I smack shit out you. Yeah, straight up. Like, and you going to, uh, all right. Lastly, a category that we have, um, this is a pretty fun one, is... So me and school are big fans of the Boondocks, Aaron McGruder. In season two, episode two, there's an episode called Sarah, Tom, and Usher. And me and school always relate to this because Tom and Sarah are married. They're celebrating an anniversary. They go to a restaurant and walks Usher. And Sarah leaves the table and pretty much spends the whole evening with Usher. And it's their anniversary night. Mm -hmm. Tom looking sad, lonely, pretty much the night's ruined. And there's a waiter that comes over and he tells Tom, sorry, man. Sorry, man. I'm going to tickle you again. Wouldn't let that shit happen to me, though. You're rolling with us. Oh, boy, was singing first. And then Usher came in and sang the song, too. Like, oh, yeah. Imagine that. Like, I'm, sing- I just I'm singing to my girl, to my and then girl. Usher come through and sing it. Like, Usher nah. sing the same exact song and shit on you. Like, come on, man. Nah. Like, nah, bruh. But the reason for this category is. Moments in a movie or a television show that happened, and I'm I'm just not going. Like, yeah, just it ain't making Kyron it that far. Richardson Jr. is not going. <laughs> like you're not about to pull this off yeah, on me. Straight up, the clear winner for me in this movie, just in case, mm-hmm. the just in case scene. <laughs> as soon as Flash grabs that mic, and he looks at the couple up front, and he says, and he looks at old girl and says, "Is that your man?" Are you happy? Are you like the happy? way he said yeah. it, bro? I'd have got mm-hmm. up. 
on that. Like as soon mm-hmm. as he started making that walk down yeah. that stage, bro, I got up so quick. Like Flash, I'll whoop your yeah, ass yeah, here, bro. Yeah. Like straight up. Yeah. It'd be four heartbeats. It's a sellout show. Yeah. Find some somebody else, yeah, bro. bro. I, all the people in, like, yeah. first of all, I paid good money for me and my girl to be here up front row looking at the five heartbeats. <laughs> Second of all, there's way too many people in this arena yeah, for you to think up. I'm the sucker mm-hmm. that you about to just take my girl. Like, yeah. and it's about to be smooth and cool. Hey. Like, nah, bro. Like, I'll drag you up and down this whole arena. Like I said, there'll be four heartbeats, bro. <laughs> like, I'm not going. Like, the only hey. thing I want to hear you say is I love how beautiful a cu- of a couple, couple you are. Is, yeah. Let me dedicate this song about when I found the love of my life to, yeah, yeah. to you two. Straight up. Straight like, yeah, up. pay me my respect, bro. Yeah. You don't come up to me talking about, is that your girl? Are you happy? Like, yeah. like Flash, like the audacity, bro. Yeah. The audacity. Yeah, that's, that's not toxic masculinity at all. That's just... Respect. Respect. Like, and you know me, bro. And you've yeah. always famous. You said, like, you've only seen me mad mm-hmm. like, two or three times in your right. entire lifetime. Yeah. Like, that's one disrespect. I don't tolerate it. And that's one where I'm just like, nah, nah I'll slap <laughs> shit out you, Flash. Like, straight up, bro. I'll slap... Like, I'll be telling that story for years, man. Yeah. The time I, tell them about the time... Mm-hmm. Rich, yeah. tell them about, about the time you slapped the, 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 the lead singer to Five Heartbeats. Yeah. Oh man, I couldn't even imagine because I'm sure that happened so many times, especially in that uh, era. How many, how many, how many chicks, how many relationships you think was broken up? A lot. Man, I can't go, man. A lot. And I think that's the only thing that does it, like, cause I can go to a comedy show. I've been to a comedy show and gotten mm-hmm. roasted, mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean, with the shorty. Right. And you expect that? That's what they yeah. do. They comedians, yeah. but you singer, like, you known for like, nah, mm-hmm. bro, come on, you think they're sweet? I ain't going. Um, another one I was thinking about for this category, and I decided not to put it in here, was the we you talked about it earlier, the big red bird scene. Yeah. And like I said, the only reason I did it is because when I look back at that scene, first of all, it's a celebration. Yeah. Yeah. Big Red having a good time. Mm-hmm. So much of a good time that he's telling jokes. Like yes. I was like, when's the last time you've been in such a good mood? You told jokes to people. Joke. Like, I, like, let me tell you about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our, our, knock knock. Like what? Yeah, like you, know, if you, you did that right now, bro. I look at you, like what, like, bro? I'm I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm about to pull out some jokes like, on y'all, yeah, like because like, he told one and it had another one loaded up. Yeah. So he was having a good time. Mm-hmm. And even when Bird first came to him, talking about he needed to talk about his royalties and his books. Big Red was like hitting with the hey man, my office I'm hours are from nine, nine to five. five. Like he didn't right. even really turn up, but mm-hmm. Big Red got so greasy with him yeah. that I think he got everything he deserved. My look, my brother Chaz always says, when you feel disrespected, act accordingly. Act accordingly. Whatever that level yeah. that you feel you need to respond with is up to you that's to decide. You. You're the one that was disrespected. Yes, that's a fact. So I mean, that's what Big Red did, man. Bird got a little greasy, and Big mm-hmm. Red took it to where he didn't think. Big Red said, "I'm the shooter." Yeah, like for real. Like I'm Shut not up. just the owner of the record. Like and, I'm Suge Knight for real. And and that's the crazy part about it was, and I think that's what you're trying to say is just like when you look around, he had two bodyguards. It's big boy, six something. Yeah. Like these big boy, like I don't need to do this. Yeah, to but prove just a point. to show like, you, I'm, I'm, yeah, man, I'm light skinned but I ain't no sucker. Yeah, not at all. Like you, <laughs> hey, straight up, on and off screen. Yeah, yeah. and you yeah. talk to me crazy at my party. Like he don't care who around. No, no camera phones, so that's an easy payoff, man. And it's uh, you know. Big Rev's up there, curled up. You know, come, hey, get up here, boy. You know I'm playing with you. Get up here, boy. You know I'm playing with you. Yeah, man. That's he all, right. He had, hey, dangling him. And, and that scene, um, allegedly, I don't know if it's true or not, was yeah. based on something that happened with Jackie Wilson. Yeah, that's what they say, man. Allegedly, man. Allegedly, man. Yeah. I wasn't there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, man, I, I, I don't think that it really qualifies as wouldn't let this happen to me, though, because... 
what he yeah, he, got, like he got what he asked for. He was looking yeah. for that smoke, and that's what he got. Mm-hmm. Son, shout out mm-hmm. to uh, shout out to Tal. I know you geeked right now, probably yeah. cheesing that you got your name dropped in the podcast. Um, <laughs> good for you, man. Tell your yeah. friends. Just to put a bow on things, why do you think the five heartbeats still hold so much weight for you, twenty nine years later? Um, the nostalgia. That's probably the first thing. Um, second would be the great acting, the great music, um, the message, the message in in it. And I know we. I'll let you get into that because we both share the same thoughts on that. But um, the message clearly, but. Everything yeah. Else, so. Yeah. The what we talked about earlier with Robert Townsend really going out of his way to make sure that you know, like I said, this is 1991, mm-hmm. that black people were viewed in a certain light of not just being the stereotypical roles that we had been bound to by Hollywood. Right. And we told our own story for ourselves, um, black director, black cast, mm-hmm. and not to step on Hawthorne James, who said this in the documentary, but I agree wholeheartedly that it's worth repeating, like. This really comes down to brotherhood and black men loving black men. Mm-hmm. In a society, when you see black men competing with each other and shooting each other down and dissing each other, you had a movie where you can go through your ups and downs and your disagreements and still come together and right. still rely on one another and still be able to look at the person next to you and say, that's my brother. Mm-hmm. You know, It's good to see black men work things out and just overcome any kind of problem that they have. Yeah, It's also was good to see that their women stay with them. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Their their yes. spouses, their girlfriends, yes. they turn into wives and they have long standing relationships. Seeing yes. Baby Doll next to Eddie yes. through all of his ups and downs. Mm-hmm. He was stuck through his and she deserved much better than what yeah. Eddie was giving her at the time. Definitely. But the black family and that sticking together, all mm-hmm. of that resonates and it was intentional and like you said, the nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just every single time you just get wrapped up in the movie. And it's not one yeah. that you you can you can tell yourself I'm only gonna watch this scene and then 40 minutes later here you yeah, are yep. watching it. So mm-hmm. it's always gonna stand the test of time. It's always gonna have a special place to me. Like I said, this was the first movie that I knew we were gonna do. You knew the same. I could talk about it all day, um, and we hope that you love it as much as we do. And hopefully you took something away from this podcast. So yes. definitely appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. If I said it once, I said it a thousand times. Definitely appreciate you guys. Um, yes. Like I said, I know. Anybody else who's ever done a podcast, man, I really salute you. You know, Facts. me in school was talking about this earlier. Like, for something that we're not getting paid for mm-hmm. and just doing it out of passion, I can understand when real life gets in the way and it's yeah. hard to just kind of work schedules out and yeah. really record. And if you start losing some momentum, you can easily say, man, forget this. Yes. Um, so I know how tough podcasting is. And it seems something like something that's easy, but mm-hmm. if you really care about the product you put out, there's a lot of work that goes into it and shout out to you school because I know the work that you put into this pod and the the fact that you guys interact with us and give us responses and tell us what you like and even don't like about the podcast at yeah. least lets us know that you're listening and you That's care just as much as we do so thank you for that yes, um, yes. we could, we hope to continue to bring you more content you know there's a lot of actors yes um, there's a lot of Movies, there's a lot of television shows that we're gonna get to. And when I say actors, I mean men and women. I thought yeah. about it, and I'm act like there's no point in separating. Nah. Actor is an actual thing. Like there's no yeah. the gender role of it is yeah. weird. But yeah, this is the we're getting near the end of October. It's an election year. It's 2020, mm-hmm. and it only makes sense that around this time of the year, our next movie should be head of state. Yes, sir. I'm ready.
Chris Rock, Bernie Mac, head of state, coming at you next. Yes. Just in time for the election. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to hear your feedback on this one. Please reach out to us at the social media handles that we gave out earlier. Love to talk movies with you all day. All day. Love to hear Straight any kind up. of response you have about yeah. the film and discuss that. So, as always, y'all be cool. Y'all be cool. Peace.